0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt
2: Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
2: BYU Radio. Good Friday morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here. Your guide. You know, I'm going to walk you through life. Come on. It ain't easy. And it just seems to get more and more complicated, doesn't it? Sometimes it seems easier, and then all of a sudden you're like, what? I've got to learn about health care? <laughs> Top of the morning to you. We've got a great program for you today, by the way. Uh, a very special day. Our very own producer, Terry South, is uh, with his wife, Kelly, having a baby. Wow. Ooh. There it is. Oh, not yet. Wish him the best of luck. Cute little Terry coming into the world. Just a little. I think it's a, a Terry Junior. Terry Junior. With an I. Spell it with an I. He's having a girl. Girl. All right. Well, yeah. She's having it.
3: Kelly he is. is. Yeah. He's not doing
2: anything. Not really. Except he keeps uh, emailing us still, and <laughs> he's still talking to us. It's like focus man you're having a baby so best of luck to them it will uh the baby we uh, is not here yet we don't believe but we'll keep you updated I love this music <sighs> Don't fall asleep now what a great way to start a Friday a little lullaby <sighs> I'm going to have to wake you up throughout the show aren't I oh, Yes it's either this or we talk about Donald Trump What All right, let's do that then Uh, It is a special day by the way It's not just Donald Trump Day It's International Podcast Day This is the day that uh, you want to go out Find podcasts, listen to podcasts What better podcast to listen to Than the Matt Townsend Show Can you find it anywhere? Absolutely Matt How about on iTunes? Mm -hmm. Stitcher Check it out there Uh, Bean, what's it called? Bean pod, is that what it's called? Yeah, pod bean Did you make that up? No Go to BYUradio.org. You can go to the app store and uh, download the BYU Radio app, and just pick up all of our podcasts. We're everywhere. You know there are other podcasts in the world. There are. Yeah, I like, mean this is International Podcast Day, right? I think we're international because we, you you can, in any in any country you could probably go to iTunes, and then internationally pick up the Matt Townsend Show.
3: Matt, I want you to name your favorite international podcast right now. Anyone in the world. Oh,
2: you have all everyone in the world to choose from. Mm, Can you name just one? Uh, um, uh, this is like Aleppo. Um, it's not uh, that hard of a question, Matt. You know just, that one guy? One. You know the, the guy from Mexico that has the show? Not the show that's current, but the old show in Mexico? That show? You don't know his uh, name. You don't know the program. Uh, I'm having a Gary Johnson moment. I don't know if you're fit to run the show. (laughs) Oh, you have no idea how true that is. Anyway, happy uh, International Podcast Day. We're going to be draining that joke for the next three hours. Just to get people listening. It's also Mud Pack Day.
0: The mud at 42 degrees Celsius is placed directly on the body in a uniquely effective means of medical treatment.
3: Huh. Would you ever do a mud mud bath or not? Not
2: intentionally, no. I've done a mud pack accidentally. (laughs) It was a bad accident. But uh, Mud Pack Day, it's the day that we learn about therapeutic uh, use of mud for beauty purposes. Mm, It all started back in the 16th century, during the Renaissance Age. (sighs) Seemed to work for them. Yeah, it did. They look great. Notice that none of them are still alive, see? There are totally, back then, a total of 78 different conditions were listed that you could use mud to uh, help with, according to the physicians back then. Now it's just when your kid falls and scrapes his knee, you're like, rub a little mud on it, you're fine. Just keep moving. And then your kid goes in, and his mom's all mad, he's got mud all over him. So
3: Seven out of ten of those doctors approved of the mud pack. The <laughs> other three died from the
2: plague. <laughs> the black. Plague. Hey, we got a great show for you today. Uh, we we want to take on, you may have heard, that uh, Obamacare, it's also known as ACA, is, is falling apart. All of the contributors and the providers that are part of the healthcare system, many of them are bailing out, you think, you hear this news. So we wanted to talk to a True Blue expert about what is happening is uh is this is the Obamacare model going to work? Is it going to last longer than Obama? President Obama only has 100 days left, and uh, we the wonder is, will his health care program make it? We'll be talking to an expert that knows, and really what's going on and why your rates may be going up for a, a large majority of you out there. So we'll get to all of that fun and uh, understanding about that, plus other headlines, other information we need to know. But first, let's get to Sadie Nelson with the headlines. Sadie, what's going on?
4: Yesterday at the height of the morning rush hour, a New Jersey commuter train packed with passengers and traveling way too fast crashed into Hoboken Terminal, killing a woman waiting on the platform and injuring more than 100 others. Witnesses said the train overran its stopping point, slammed into a bumper block, went airborne and hurtled through a passenger concourse at about 8.45 a.m. at the terminal, one of the busiest transit hubs in the New York area. Fabiola Bittar de Croon, 34, was killed, the state medical examiner's office announced. Governor Chris Christie said the woman has been was standing on the platform and was struck by debris. 114 people were injured in total. Some of Donald Trump's advisors are discussing an overhaul and how he prepares for his second faceoff with Hillary Clinton. One option being floated internally is asking Chris Christie to take a leading role to get the Republican nominee ready. The New Jersey governor, a longtime friend of Trump's, is one of the few in the billionaire's inner circle who has always been straight with him and was brutally honest about his shortcomings after this week's debate, according to a source familiar with the discussions. Christie told CNN no request has been made yet. Joe Biden is still dumbfounded by Donald Trump's performance at this week's presidential debate. During his first ever appearance on The Tonight Show is starring Jimmy Fallon. Thursday night, Fallon asked the vice president if he watched Monday's debate with, between Trump and Democratic rival Hillary Clinton. He responded he had and he also said, you know what surprised me? I'll be serious for just a second. What amazes me about Donald Trump, and he's probably a decent guy, is his lack of sensibilities. I mean, the way he talks. I paid no taxes, and that makes me smart. What does that make us? The American people don't like being played for suckers. And finally... Yes? Randolph Police Department uh, released a public appeal for a search for a family of a war veteran, Joseph E. Hughes, whose 100-year-old dog tag was found on the side of the road. 100-year-old. What? Within 24 hours... The department was able to follow up on several leads and ultimately his family was located and contacted police said as a result a priceless piece of US history a World War 1 dog tag was issued uh, issued to Joseph E Hughes will be returned to the veteran's eldest grandson of the Hughes namesake and but it is still unclear how exactly the dog tag got on the side of the road Wow but it looks really cool so I, bet I thought it that does. was a thought that was a pretty it's neat story A piece story. of
2: history that's pretty cool Yeah well done, Sadie. By the way, Sadie is uh, Sadie's got like dual or triple roles today. Yes, she has to act like Terry. Mm-hmm. She's got roles like Rhodes' roles. Yes, nothing, mm. nothing a lady likes to hear more than that. <laughs> you got roles there. <laughs> Did you not learn, Jeffrey, from the Trump debacle that you don't ever question a woman's body?
3: Ever. I wasn't.
2: I'm I'm hungry. I really want some rolls.
4: No, it's okay. I understand. Like cinnamon rolls. Jeff, mm. I'm hungry as well.
2: I love cinnamon rolls. Last time we had Sadie go out, she broke the bank buying us Cronuts.
4: Almost broke the bank.
2: Almost broke the bank. The funny thing is, Terry, uh you, you Sadie has to fill in for Terry. Yes. Which is hard because she she doesn't play kind of an ornery Curmudgeon very well.
4: No. Never have. Probably never will.
2: But you got a whole week to prepare and yeah, plan and I do. practice. So I think you'll be really good. She also has to do the news. Yep. And she still does social media. Just
3: go back and listen to the previous shows. You can get some uh, good research in there.
2: Yep. Yeah. Sadie, thanks. Thanks for all you do. And thanks for... And by the way, she's got to be loving it because she doesn't have to sit in the room there with Terry because Terry's gone. And Terry normally is teaching her about, you know, liberal politics. She can do whatever she wants in there. She can pate. Hey, we got a great show for you, um, Donald Trump. Uh, you may you may have noticed that since the debate, it, Donald doesn't think he lost. Everybody else is sure he did, but he keeps arguing. What I the debate was rigged. What are you talking so, about? Says who? So uh, one of the things I think we are seeing finally, uh, if you uh, if you were waiting for this, do you remember Donald Trump for about the last month was going up in the polls, rising like a like the phoenix out of ashes. And everyone was wondering what was what had happened to Hillary Clinton was I mean, other than her you know health issues that were such a big issue. They're wondering, is Hillary even in this game? Is she in this race? Well, if you ever questioned if Hillary uh, Rodham Clinton has a campaign, guess what? Yeah. And you're seeing it right now. If you check CNN, Huffington Post, go to any uh, major news source, Real Clear Politics, some of these aggregator sites. uh, Go to the New York Times. Go where you want to go, and you will see a lot of conversation about Donald Trump. And some of the dumb things Donald Trump says, for example, about five to one coverage of Donald over Hillary right now, which is strange, isn't it? Why would the why would the newspapers only covered the negatives of Donald? Are there no negatives of Hillary? None. None. The interesting thing is, I believe she's turned on the campaign machine. She's now in full campaign mode. She just basically, if, you, if you're if you driving right now, she just downshifted her campaign. She went from fifth gear to fourth gear, changed the RPM ratio, and now she's got a ton of power. And she's flying. And everybody's coming at Donald Trump now.
3: Do you think at this point, is it is it uh, too soon for
2: her to phone it in? Can she just sit back yeah, and relax? No, too, soon. Too, too soon. Too soon. Because she was just... I mean, some polls like that. L.A. Times poll still has her down by five points to Donald Trump, which it, is a weird poll. It just seems like during that first debate,
3: especially, she just reached a point where she. It looked like she was just going to stand back and let Donald Trump, yeah, dig himself into a hole. What she really did is she dug
2: a hole. She put. She grabbed uh, an aspen tree, bent it down, made a um, made a nice. Trap. What's it called? What are those called? A snare trap. Sure. And uh, Donald Trump then walked into the hole It was co- and then covered it up. She, he walked into the hole, fell into the snare, and it whipped him and has been whipping him for four days. But then, that
3: snare is that. But then he repeated to maintain that he was not caught in that snare.
2: Yeah, except for the fact that he's getting whipped around by this machada lady that um, he made all those offensive remarks about. Says who? Says who? And he just keeps digging himself deeper. This whole thing started – the debate was Monday, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. The debate was Monday. It's Friday. We're still talking about the last – just one of that those little snare traps she set for him, and he took the bait, just like she said he would. And we're still talking about it. And we're not just talking about it. Hillary has an entire team out there spinning it, and it's working. He, Donald's getting the crud beat out of him right now. Not if you ask him. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly right. It's all rigged is what he would say. So uh, it's not even if that wasn't bad enough. We have Jimmy Fallon who has a special visitor. Joe Biden is on his show last night and uh, Joe Biden even brought up. They they were still talking about the debate.
5: Have you ever seen that much that the many fact checking that seemed like fact checking was a big thing? Like, well, I can tell you what. I've never seen anybody who knew as few facts.
6: Ouch.
2: So Joe Biden's out on the trail. Um, Mrs. Michelle Obama's been out on the trail. Every pundit in the world out on the trail. Alicia Machado still being talked about. Now Donald Trump is going to start finding dirt about her and throwing dirt out there. You mean he hasn't already been throwing dirt out there? Well, Like now they're, he's, they found stuff. And you're going to now see the person that Hillary Clinton has hung his, her entire campaign on is Alicia Machado, the new American who was the Venezuelan female that Donald Trump called Miss Piggy. Smart. It's gonna get crazy. Smart. Then Donald's like, well, I'm gonna bring in, okay, I guess I gotta bring in Bill Clinton's history. And all the other Republicans are like, no, 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 don't, no, don't you dare. Not unless you're prepared to hold up a mirror, this is getting crazy, crazy, and if it wasn't bad enough, you can I truly believe you now see Gary Johnson taking a major beat down because he he just struggles remembering things well, he just struggles
3: at least now he may have the endorsement of Jeb Bush.
2: do you think True. that will help him. Mm-hmm
5: right
2: yeah i don't know i mean i don't i don't think it'll help him that much but it is interesting do you think jeb bush could actually vote for a libertarian gary johnson i think he could do that over voting for either hillary or trump yeah he said as much it's interesting why wouldn't you vote for somebody more aligned to your values like a mcmullen that nobody knows about, because nobody
3: knows about him. <laughs> Gary Johnson, at least, is within a few percentage points of being up on that debate stage. Yeah, what is it? within seven or eight? Oh, is it seven? Uh, I thought he was at least
2: at ten or eleven. Well, I think he goes from eight to ten, depending he's get
3: on to fifteen. Yeah. Depending on which quiz question of the week mm-hmm. he doesn't answer correctly. Yeah. Ugh, hey, Merkel, doesn't that Garnet! seem a little harsh to you? Yeah. How would you like it if you walked around and you just had somebody constantly asking you questions? Oh, it'd be horrible.
2: Well, what's what's the answer to this question? Well, and you you heard that Hillary Clinton got asked a question, and she, uh, they asked who her favorite world leader was, and she said Angela Merkel. Hmm. The default from now on, just for everybody. Merkel. If anybody comes up and asks you, who's your favorite anything? Say Merkel. Always
3: say Merkel. I'm telling you, the next question they're going to ask Gary Johnson is if two trains are traveling in opposite directions, train A going this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's the next one coming. Merkel? I'm telling you. Oh boy! Can yeah.
2: you, what if you had to do a story problem? That would be hard stuff. Well, we um, we've got a lot to discuss, and we are going to get into um, the Affordable Care Act. Now, when when I say that, a lot of people are like, ah, bruh. But remember, you can't complain about Obama's health care plan if you don't have a clue what's going on with it, right? But if you can't complain about your rates going up either if you don't have a clue why. So we wanted to bring in a true blue expert uh, that's been researching it, that has worked in this uh, field for years, a professor as well. And he's going to walk us through what is ailing the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare. Is it the insurers that are leaving that are creating the problem, or is it Congress, or is it a bit of both? Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, through the crazy, crazy difficult issues of life. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, the Affordable Care Act, what uh, some know as Obamacare, has come under heavy fire since the day it began. In August, Aetna announced it was pulling back in the individual market, and in April, United Healthcare followed. These two health insurance plans leaving Affordable Care Act marketplaces has led some to wonder if the uh, Affordable Care Act is uh, coming to an end. Is Obamacare bleeding out? Here to speak with us is Professor J.B. Silvers. He's a professor of health finance at Case Western Reserve University and uh, also is the article, uh, is the author of an article, What's Ailing the ACA, Insurers or Congress? And we appreciate you, Dr. Silvers. Thank you for being with us.
5: Great. Glad to be here.
2: This is a, okay, this is where we got to get real because it is an incredibly complicated issue. Affordable, the, the Affordable Care Act. Plus, it's incredibly polarized, isn't
5: it? It's hugely a polar and it's largely political. Uh, the irony of it is that this is basically a Republican plan to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> that makes it even more interesting.
2: Well, especially when we get into this discussion, because the Republicans from the get go have basically said it's not going to work. We're not going to let this happen. It's we're going to have to repeal and replace it. Um, and so, in the end, I guess what I'm learning from your article is well, let's before we get, I guess, to the political side of it, talk to us about the Affordable Care Act. In the end, it was a major sweeping legislation that for the first time did what for Americans?
5: Well, it mandated that everybody had to have health insurance. That's the big one insurance insurance works best when everybody's in the pool uh because it's a, basically a law of averages mm-hmm. we're trying to get the, the high risk together with the low risk and it all averages out <clears throat> um, and the only way to do that is to have everybody in the pool that was a real rubbing point because that just goes right against personal choice and difficult issues that individuals like to make and particularly buying something you don't think you need uh, so and,
2: and yeah ordered stuff, to right you i mean yeah. By law, you have to have it or pay a penalty, a tax. That's
5: right. So the parallel is with drivers, is with car insurance. You, know, you can't drive without car insurance. Hmm. So uh, that, that, that's very much the insurance concept here. It's just that we never did that before. So insurance companies got to cherry pick good risks and avoid bad ones.
2: Did, did, it, did the insurance companies not want Obamacare?
5: No, they were favorite, uh, in favor of it. Interesting. It's interesting. Almost everyone at the table this time around was for it. The only ones that really fought hard, um, besides politically, were small businesses. And so there were mm. a lot of provisions put in to try to help out small business, but they never bought it.
2: Hmm. So in reality, uh, the businesses that were involved wanted it because this would give them even more people to insure with the potential of making more money. Small businesses didn't want it because it would then cost them more money. Apparently, with except for the exceptions. Um, so why isn't it? Why isn't it working? It seems like if we're mandating everybody has to get into the pool, um, and the insurance agencies are able to, I guess, cover more people in those pools. Why isn't it? Uh, why isn't it thriving?
5: Well. <clears throat> First, the insurance is a tricky business I, I i actually ran an insurance company for a while, so I got first hand knowledge <laughs> on this and you don't you, you, you it's really hard to know how risky the pool is, so you wonder if that's why you want everybody in it right so you can deal with the averages um, <clears throat> so they had to make bets on how risky the population was going to be that actually enrolled and If you have experience, that is, you had a year of claims or two years of claims or whatever, you you can pretty much guess, unless there's some discontinuities, how much it's going to cost you next year. But if you don't have any information, you are just throwing darts in the the dark. Yeah, You really don't know. So uh, that's the difficulty. Insurance companies had to take on many more risks than they ever had before, and they had almost no data on what this uninsured population was going to demand of them so they put in a transition period over three years to let them have some gain some experience with this and then and then they're going to shove them out of the tree and they have to fly on their own and that's been part of the difficulty is how well that transition has worked
2: Hmm. so really i guess it is that now that bubble's kind of passed, and we can we now know, I guess, numbers a little bit better. We know the take rates. We know how many people have gotten into the pool. Now these uh, insurers are seeing their percentages, and they're realizing, ugh, th- these numbers aren't, they're not jibing. We've got to, I guess, increase the premiums. Is this why so many states, like I just heard in Utah, that the premiums for, I guess, individuals uh, could go up 30 percent?
5: Well. Really. Um, what we're having, again, it's a political game with statistics. The filings, every company files a whole bunch of plans every year, because you have to put those in in the late spring before you have any idea what your experience is going to be. And then by October 1st, right, right around the corner here, right. you can withdraw them. So what, what some of the people, uh, particularly on the Republican side, have done is looked at all those filings, and said, if if we're just going to do a straight average of all those filings, and we've got some that are going up 60%, some that are going up 10%, we're going to average them all out, and that'll come up with 30 or whatever the number turns hmm. out to be. That's not a meaningful number. What really counts are two things. One is how many people are still in the game when it opens on November 1st, because they have the right to withdraw them up until October 1st. Huh. So many of those plans that have been filed aren't going to be offered because they're just not profitable, and now the data shows you don't want to really be in that, offer that kind of product. Secondly is people don't buy high-cost plans, so the real increase in in rates that are on an. uh, weighted average basis is way lower than thirty percent. I mean thirty is a silly number. Hmm. It doesn't
2: mean anything. Well and that's yeah, you bring up an interesting point in your article that this is something that happens to insurance companies every year, right? They yeah. they have to check and see which plans are the most profitable and affordable and then those that aren't, they drop and they which is basically is that I guess what Aetna's doing is by them pulling out of those markets, they're saying they're gonna drop they're just dropping those Aetna's not playing that game. They're going to go play another part of the insurance game.
5: Well, yeah, Aetna's a little more of a problem. Um, United is – United, I, I did basically discount theirs. They didn't get in the game to begin with. Okay. They, they set it out for the first year. Then they decided, oh, maybe we should be in this. So they went and filed plans without any data, and by this time other companies had one-year data, and they were wildly off. So they inherited people that were were higher risk than they thought. So the third year, they filed plans, and then they said, oh, we really don't want to be in this market. They didn't give it a fair shot. Uh, Anthem and Aetna and the other plans that have dropped, they're a little more problematic because they were in from the beginning and they actually knew what they were doing. But what they found is they're enrolling a, a population that is a little higher risk and they have contracts that cover uh, expensive hospitals with contracts that are a little more expensive than they want. And so their actual costs that they're paying out are higher than they than they would like to. Uh, plus, we've got some side issues about mergers and the Justice Department challenging them that – is a uh, problematic because some people think that's really what's going on here too. Hmm. So but the point is yeah. if they're not there and the ones they've dropped are ones that most people would not consider to be that important. There are places where the enrollment was really low to begin with, largely rural areas where it's really hard to pull off this kind of a plan. Anyway, um, the, the, the ones you were worried about are ones where they're, um, there really are population and people will lose the ability to compare among plants. That ha- hasn't happened too many places in the country. So
1: but real
2: so so do are we hitting the numbers that we needed to hit? It seemed like one of the reasons Obama was doing a lot of the kind of millennial media stuff was to push a lot of the younger generation to get into this pool because we need these healthy bodies to balance and, you know, to, to, to balance the chemistry of the pool, um, so to speak. Are they getting the youth and the, and the younger bodies in the pool that they need?
5: Well, n- not in the proportions that were assumed. Um, all this pricing is sort of mechanical. Um, you, the insurance companies have to come up with one price for Mr. Average, mm-hmm. age, sex, status, everything else. And then mechanically, that number, that premium gets spread to all the different categories by age and uh, not by gender, gender's neutral. Um, and, so, and you're only allowed to spread between the highest and the lowest three times. So the, the the older people clearly use a lot more care than the younger people, mm. and so you either bias it towards low, keeping the rate lower than you what you would otherwise, which is probably five times the lowest uh, times the lowest. So you're underpricing the old people, and by definition, you're overpricing the young people. Mm. And so young people look at it and say, "Oh, well, this is, and I'm not even getting much of a subsidy because my premium is pretty low to begin with." Right. Um, so why should I do this? So that they haven't signed up. I mean, the penalty that's increasing each year to get them to do that, besides just telling them, so like having your kids do something, you, know, <laughs> you can tell them, but they Ground may not them. do it. And yeah. you say, you're not going to get your allowance for this year. Uh, the the penalty goes up. The tax penalty goes up. Uh, and the subsidies are, are not that big to begin with. So the question is, is there going to be enough of an incentive to get people to join in? Or are they just going to blow this off because they're immortal?
2: <laughs> right. Oh, exactly. Well, that's why, I mean, what 20-something-year-olds thinking about insurance? I and mean, it's such an interesting... Con- I mean, unless you're married, it doesn't seem like something you just naturally are attracted to. We're speaking with an expert, J.B. Silvers. He is... Um, he is the, uh, the professor of health and finance at Case Western Reserve University, also vice chair of the board at Metro Health Medical Centers, and um, is helping us in, in his understanding about financial management of health services, walking us through the ACA, the Ob- Obamacare, uh, and uh, hopefully enlightening all of us as to what's really going on there. When we come back, we'll be talking about the political issues that really might be uh, putting some holes in ACA. Ah, <sighs> Crazy politics. Stick with us, folks. We're helping you walk through life. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, today uh, we are walking through the crazy uh, landscape of the, uh, the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare. It's a. It's just filled with holes and landmines, and we needed a guide to walk us through that. So we asked JB Silver's to join us. He is a professor at Case Western Reserve University. For seven years, Silver was a commissioner on the Prospective Payment Assessment Commission, called now it's called Medpac, advising Congress on Medicare payments and uh, he um, is a vice chair of the board at Metro Health Centers and a researcher in financial management and health services. We appreciate you, Dr. Silvers. Thank you so much for just making this easy to understand. Uh, I don't
5: know whether easy is the right word, but (laughs) I hope I can help a little
2: bit. You are. You're helping a lot. So (laughs) one of the big things you bring up in your article is um, the insurance companies always knew that there might be you know, the, the risk was going to be high, but they also had, by by law, and then I guess validated through courts, that, that the federal government, through Congress, would then help make up some of the loss. Is that accurate? Yes. And the, Congress the, isn't doing that.
5: Well, you know, it's interesting because uh, when we did the Medicare Part D, the drug plans, uh, many, many years ago, uh, we were starting a whole new thing an insurance that nobody had ever done before, no claims, no idea. I thought it was not going to work because I deal with markets. I do corporate finance, too, so I'm worried about how markets work. And it turns out they put in three elements to encourage companies to join into this market because it's based on competition. Again, this came from the Republican side. And those three, three elements worked so much better than I ever expected that we got a really robust market of insurance companies competing for the business in the drug business. Huh. Um, so they when this one came along, they put the same three elements in to ease the transition of insurance companies into this business. They have to take on this new risk that they've never had to take on before, and they didn't know how to do it. So they put the three elements in. One is dealing with, if you happen to have what's called adverse selection, you get a whole bunch of people sign on that statistically are going to be less needy of healthcare, uh, then you get a windfall. So the idea was to do a risk adjustment on the basis of who actually enrolls and move part of the premiums from one company to the one that enrolled sicker people. So that risk, risk adjustment uh, is an, a key element in almost every federal insurance plan. Uh, the second one was reinsurance. So if you have bad luck, and you've got some really bad cases that come along that are going to go beyond uh, a certain high limit. There, you have reinsurance that kicks in and takes, helps you pay for those. Uh, and the third one was if you make bad guesses on premiums, and uh, your 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 risk and the premium you set is not very close to the cost underlying, they put like a risk corridor around it so that you could not make more than 3%, which is a pretty reasonable margin for an insurance company, and you wouldn't lose more than 3%. Hmm. So these three mechanisms were transitional devices to encourage companies to get in and compete. And we we knew it worked.
2: Yeah, it worked really well.
5: Worked really well. The only problem is that When the push came to shove and the Feds needed to pony up and move the money around, Congress said, oh, hold on, that's not what we intended. That's a tax. That's got to be going through uh, Congress, and we have to allocate the money for that. Mm. So all they had in the pot was enough to pay for 12% of uh, of those three adjustments that they should be paying for. So, needless to say, the insurance companies weren't happy about that, because they thought they were going to get the whole thing. That's basically what drove down the um, the not-for-profit plans that were established across the country, was the failure of Congress to allocate that money, and the courts ruled that, in fact, they're correct on that. Uh, and so now the insurance companies look at those risk-adjustment mechanisms, and they say, well, they're not there anymore. Yeah. It's going to help us out. So we've got to build that into our premiums. There you go. We have to crank it up because we have to bear more risk than even what we thought we were going to bear.
7: Mm. Uh,
5: so Congress clearly is culpable in the rates that we're seeing now. They're definitely going up to a large extent because of the, uh, the extra risk they're taking on. The underlying cost of health care has been moderate for a number of years and continues to be reasonably moderate. So ultimately, insurance rates have to reflect underlying costs. But right now, with this risk uh, shell game we're going through, they don't. Well,
2: and I, I guess what would we have expected from a Congress that from day one vowed to sink the plan, right?
5: Well, the administration thought the financing was solid. Okay. Uh, and some legal scholars looked at it in detail and said, and as it turns out, as the court says rightly, uh well you didn't design this properly and if you want more money to be able to make it work we're going to have to give it to you and by the way we're not going to give it to you Hmm. so this is a nail in the coffin of the plan and potentially helps drive what's called a death cycle a death spiral that your rates go up and then only really sick people will sign on healthy people won't and then your rates have to go up even higher so that's that's the dilemma from an insurance company point of view, we are not there yet, but that's a danger. That's exactly the concern we got to
2: worry about. So right now, you would say uh, Obamacare ACA is is it's not on its last breath. It's not dying. It's starting a spiral that can easily, I guess, could be pulled out of if we wanted to.
5: Well, there there, there are multiple layers of, of the ACA. Uh, the one that gets all the publicity is this one: in the individual market, the um, small group market. Basically, Obama shot the, shot himself in the foot on that one by saying you can keep your own plan. Remember that? Yeah. Well, that mainly mainly meant that people, that insurance that small businesses that have lower risk hang onto those plans because they get low rates, and only the people that have high cost. Claims go to that. That market is the small group market has sort of been shot by by that. Uh, But also the biggest success, uh, probably the biggest success, is the Medicaid expansion. States that have gone into the Medicaid expansion have been uh, had very good experience, and we've insured far more people that are working poor, they're above the poverty level, uh, with subsidies that that uh, you know that, that. they're they're in the Medicaid
7: program.
5: Mm-hmm. Uh, that's been a huge success. By, I think anybody's standards, if you look at it objectively, and even Republican governors uh, here in Ohio, where I live, definitely Kasich was an advocate of that because it made a lot of financial sense and and uh, was the right thing from a human relations point of view. Um, but other com- other places like Texas did not do it. Those hospitals in Texas are just suffering like mad because mm. they're still absorbing. They're still providing those services, but they're not getting paid for them. So the Medicaid
2: would be those that uh, maybe were historically out uh, more impoverished, out on the more of maybe a higher risk pool as well, and those could be placed in the Medicaid bundle. Exactly.
5: Yeah. Exactly. The people that are working poor—they're mm-hmm. uh, they're, too—they they're, were too high income. The average Medicaid, by the way, goes on and off. It's not. People don't get on Medicaid and stay forever. I okay, yeah. The plan I ran, I can't remember the numbers, but it was less than a year. People are on Medicaid. You know, a few months, they get a job, earn enough money, and then then they wouldn't be covered anymore. Yeah. You know, so doing continuity was really hard with yeah. these people. With the Medicaid expansion, now they don't have a job. They get a they're on Medicaid. They get a job. They are still on Medicaid up to a significant level and um, and and then you can have continuity of care and that's clearly a good idea. No
2: and so so it. it was the conserve many conservative states or conservative governors wasn't it that that didn't want the medicaid expansion even though it would pay for certain groups um, they didn't want it because it would also tie their hands more to to ACA.
5: Well it was yeah it's labeled as ACA and that's bad politically. Um, they were worried ultimately about the financing of in the long run. The feds were going to pay 100% of it for the first uh, few years and then 95% going on out of the expansion group. That's an incredible deal. Yeah, it's a great deal. It's really good. So from a state budget point of view, it's just total winner. But it philosophically and politically looked like you're collaborating with the enemy here, and so you didn't didn't want to do that. And
2: And it's costing states, yeah.
5: And hospitals are getting shot. Ultimately, they thought the feds would renege, and they'd have to pick up the whole cost. That was one of the other yeah. arguments that were made. The, the, the last element I want to mention is that Obamacare has all these other things in it. it. Basically, anything anybody ever thought of in health policy, they threw it in there. <laughs> <laughs> I teach a class, I just give them the whole bill and say, do a search for anything you want, it's in there. <laughs> yeah. Whatever you're interested in, it, it's going to be in there. So a lot of additional structural stuff that basically has changed the industry forever. Uh, We're looking at outcomes, we're doing research on better ways to provide health care, we've we've, we've just changed a huge number of things in terms of this, including some of the provisions, everybody has to have insurance, no pre-existing conditions, all the sorts of things, stay on your parents' plan afterwards. and then a lot of structural things that basically have made hospitals react wildly differently than they would have before. Uh, whole new sets of organizational mechanisms, things like that.
2: Is it lowering so whatever, the cost in the end? And
5: ultimately lowering the cost and increasing the quality. Huh. It's called value-based. Yeah. So there's a lot, the buzzword is value-based. Everything's got to be value-based. That means I'm not going to pay you if you have a complication in the hospital or you have to be readmitted within 30 days. Uh, you're going to pay a penalty for that.
2: Oh, yeah, you know, we didn't do our job.
5: That's that's for now. You can argue about how they did it. And right, I, I do. I'm not. I don't think they did a good job implementing it. But the concept is really hmm. straightforward.
2: Well, I mean, would the rest of us in the business world have that problem? Why wouldn't <laughs> Why wouldn't healthcare exactly is because exactly. one thing I hear and I'll hear it. I'm going on vacation with family soon, and I have a bunch of medical doctors in my family, and uh, they a lot of them you know i think they like everything you listed the kind of the outcomes idea more research on healthcare uh, everyone gets insured pre existing conditions i think they like that it's just they're also telling me how much less they're getting per patient is well, that are are you hearing is it impacting doctors the and the desire to be a doctor anymore
5: well that's debatable yeah it, we we've always had the tendency of docs to want to go to the highest paid Part of the profession. So become a dermatologist or something like that. And you're, you know, you can, you can, I I don't want to cast any aspersions at anybody, but you can make a lot more money than being a primary care doc. Hmm. Um, So that's, and part of this was intended to reverse that, uh, to hold down the cost of, uh, of some of the things that doctors do and encourage primary care. It hasn't happened very much yet. The students in our medical school, where I teach, don't—they're um, not going to medic, not going to primary care, and anywhere near the rate we we should have them going to. So nurse practitioners are growing on down the line. Uh, another one that you have mentioned, though, that's really important, and the docs are sort of complicit in this. I think is the cost of drugs, mm. uh, particularly uh, biologicals, but particularly the specialty drugs that are shooting through the ceiling. Um, no question that's one of them that is the major inflationary factor in health care, and that's going to be a not a right or left issue that's going to be a, a, a don't let them rip us off this this way so i think I think we're going to see some action on either side around hmm. drug drug trying to somehow control the drug uh, drug
2: cost oh man and as we wrap it up, dr silver's what... Just give us overall what you see the future being and um, the future of this election is. I, I'm assuming Hillary uh, is much more pro ACA, and uh, just because of her history in the health care, you know, issue. Um, where do we go from here? What does it look like in the future? And are, is there one candidate over another that that might be that might have a better plan or a more probably a more aggressive plan?
5: Well. Mr. Trump really hasn't said very much about health care. It hasn't been on the, on the, and neither has, uh, Hillary, either, either way, they've published things. Uh, she has, he hasn't. So basically the Republicans, all they've said is repeal and replace, but they haven't said we're Right Now representative Ryan has, has in fact posted some principles that are, are reasonable and, and you can talk about them, but Trump hasn't picked up on those at all. Um, what you're finding is softening. Uh, Senator Grassley just signaled in the last few days that uh, the Democrat, the Republicans, would be willing to sit and talk about how to fix Obamacare uh, instead of getting rid of it. So you're beginning to find cracks in that that mantra of repeal. Um, on the Republican side, on the Democratic side, uh, most I just actually was this morning looking through some of the stuff that Hillary has posted, um, and for your. For your listeners, uh, Kaiser Family Foundation, kkf.org, does some really nice comparisons on this, so people can go real-time and look Mm. at what they've said. Uh, Most of what she's proposed is fixing some things that most people would think are not working well in Obamacare. Uh, And she's willing to tackle drugs, uh, Mm -hmm. some other things like that, Uh, but mostly it's working around the edges to change the level. Uh, the affordable and the affordable care is no more than 9.5% of your income. The subsidies are supposed to take care of anything above that. She wants to lower that to 8.5% hmm. because the complaints are that she wants to help people with set, with um, high copays and deductibles to help them. She wants to do uh, refundable tax credit that is you have the expenditure, you actually get money back. Hmm. That's uh, Trump. Trump has basically said, "Let's just let people deduct it, and it helps out high income people and not low income
2: people." Yeah, so- yeah. Let's. He's probably more like, "I'll figure that out later. I'll go sit down with Doctor Bornstein and my physician that wrote the letter." We appreciate you, Doctor Silvers, and your great work. JB Silvers again is his name, and uh, you can find out more if you just Google. J.B. Silvers. Uh, he's a professor of health finance at Case Western Reserve University, and uh, just a great resource. A um, lot to learn, a lot to think about. Our goal is to walk you through it, give you the information you need to make the decisions you need. Stick with us. We'll take a break, come back, wrap up our number one of the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer with Affordable Care Act, hopefully, or some form of insurance. Stick with us.
5: you boy you too stupid to do what your coach
0: tells you <laughs> because life doesn't come with a handbook you need a coach here's dr
2: matt and his coaching corner Play ball. Play ball. welcome back friends remember i mean president obama i don't think did a great job of passing affordable care act he kind of did it unilaterally right ticked off half the people but remember half of congress weren't in the game to play either we could have solved affordable care acts forever and ever and ever and some of the things that uh, that we've been benefiting from like this idea of you know our children being covered or a pre-existing condition that's a huge game changer, and that's one that that uh, the Republicans weren't really in for and too up for until President Obama forced the hand. So in the end, it's there. It's working to a degree. It could work a lot better, and um, it is seeing some signs of lowering costs as well. But uh, it's also not a perfect uh, – it's not a perfect situation. The problem is you're about to vote – for somebody who will carry this on and take it further and improve it or not. Um, And I'm not even talking about president. Go look at your congresspeople. How are they handling the ACA? Are they doing anything about it, really? Are they making it a better system? If it's here to stay in some form or another because of now, you know, multiple years of us living this way then it's probably time that your Congress get on board and start making it better and improving the conditions, don't you think? Push it. I mean, again, to repeal it and pull it back, I don't know what we would create in this partisanship um, that we've got going on. So watch out for it. We'll take a break. That's hour number one. Just trying to give you the information. You make the decisions. It's your life. We'll be back with more ideas.
0: Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
2: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
2: BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show. What a big day today is. Our own producer, Terry South, is not in studio. In fact, he is in a delivery room. With his wife Kelly. Uh, Do we have a news update yet? Has there been a little South born? Not yet. Still waiting for baby South to appear. Old man South. He's not. Or young. He's not that old. No. Ah. Nothing out of the South yet. The South will rise again. <laughs> That's great. We wish uh, Kelly the best of luck, uh, mainly because she will have to spend a week with our wonderful friend Terry, who's who will I'm sure he just loves to get stuff done. So I'm sure if he has his way, this baby will be born very quickly and efficiently with very little talk or fanfare. Best of luck to the South. We'll keep you posted if we find out anything during the show. Uh, if not, um, you'll just have to deal with Jeff and I and Sadie, and we will, uh, you know, which for many is much like childbirth, they say. Listening to the show, that is.
5: Right.
2: Anyway, we've got a great program for you. It is International Podcast Day, which simply means find us on podcast. We're on iTunes, on TuneIn, on Stitcher, We're on Podbean. Mm Mm-hmm. If you uh, are, you know, you can also pick us up on Ship to Shore. Uh, If you are into flag signaling, we also can be found on FlagSignalsRus.com. Morse code. Morse code. You can find us. You can go to BYUradio.org. You can go to uh, iTunes or uh, the App Store and pick up the BYU Radio app for Apple or Android. You can't pick it up on iTunes, the Android version, but we're everywhere. But what about other podcasts that people might be
3: interested in? What are you talking about, Jeff? Well... When you say other... You've had one hour now. Can you think of one international podcast that you Mm. like and admire? Just one. Just one other podcast, international.
2: Just one anywhere in the world. Uh, It's not a difficult question. I know there's one, and there's one. I oh, there's that one. Mm. You know the one I'm talking about, that good one.
3: I know the one. The one from I know Mexico. A one, but it's probably not the one
2: that you're thinking of. Mm. Now we taught everybody last hour. If anybody asks you your favorite international anything, there's one word you say, and it works every time. The word Merkel.
8: do <laughs> that?
2: Merkel Did you say Urkel? Not Urkel. Merkel. Oh. Sorry. Did you think Urkel? Is
3: that, is that why Urkel just That played? wouldn't be a bad response either. No. Urkel and everybody will just start laughing
2: and they'll yeah. forget about the question. When in doubt, when someone says, do you have an international favorite leader from, an inter- from a country, any country other than the United States, always say Merkel or Urkel. Take your pick. It's uh, also Mud Pack Day, uh, the day that you can go pack mud on your face and feel good about it. You are right there, Jeffrey?
3: Did that feel good? Was that your stomach? No, that was my mud pack. (laughs) I'm applying mud during the show. Have you ever had a mud pack? Like, really? Have you ever, like, gone
2: and had a facial where they spread goo on your face? No. Not appealing. Have you – oh, Sadie, we lost her. Sadie, have you had a mud pack? She says, yes, she likes the mud pack. She wasn't sure. So maybe it wasn't that memorable of an experience. Yeah, I just, its mud's very gritty. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love facials. Now, I have had,
3: uh, you know, mud thrown at me, you know, as a kid. That was kind of like a mud
2: pack. That's different. That's different. That's totally different. And... But it's the day you celebrated. So if you haven't, I mean, this goes back to the 19th century. If you haven't, this probably has to have gone back before the 19th century. If you haven't had a mud pack, today's the day. And uh, commit yourself to get out in the mud.
3: Those people back then had a mud pack every time they took a bath, though, because they
2: all shared the same bath water. uh, Is that your stomach? I keep hearing your stomach.
3: I just can't stop thinking about those uh, those rolls, those cinnamon roads yeah, rolls. Yeah, roads rolls,
2: one of our great sponsors um, here at BYU Broadcasting. Uh, here's the thing: we got a lot to talk about today. One thing we wanted to get into is this idea of homeschooling. You know, is it is it as is it as healthy as everyone claims it is? Are they getting such a great education? What's really going on with that? How is it changing America? You won't believe some of the numbers and um, some of the things that are going on with homeschooling. It's pretty successful uh, endeavor. We'll be talking with Kyle Greenwald um, about homeschooling and how it's changing America and um, overall its impact. So
5: I am the smart. <laughs> S-M-R-T. I mean I
2: <laughs> I don't think he was homeschooled. He was not homeschooled. That may be why so many go to homeschooling. Uh, he was uh, He was schooled in Springfield, wasn't he? That's correct. Yeah. So we'll get to homeschooling in just a minute, find out the ins, the outs, the ups, the downs, the real numbers behind that. But first, let's get to Sadie Nielsen and the headlines. Sadie, what's going on?
4: The Rosetta Space Probe has crash-landed on the surface of a distant comet, ending a remarkable 12-year mission that made a series of breakthrough discoveries. It was the final act of an epic project to chase a comet in its orbit around the sun, put a sister probe on the surface, and gather information about its behavior and chemical composition. After confirmation, the mission controller sent out a simple tweet in many languages just saying, Mission Complete. The president of the Philippines today likened himself to the Nazi leader Hitler saying he wants to kill millions of drug addicts just as Hitler killed Jews during the Holocaust. Hitler massacred 3 million Jews, now there is 3 million drug addicts in the Philippines. I'd be happy to slaughter them. At least if Germany had Hitler, the Philippines would have me. You know my victims, I would like them to be all criminals to finish the problem of my country and to save the next generation from perdition. The leader campaigned on a hard line against crime, particularly drug offenses and has in the past uttered statements which have caused many in the international community to recoil. Wells Fargo will pay $24 million to settle allegations that it mistreated members of the military, including illegally repossessing their cars. The bank, already reeling from a scandal over fake accounts, will pay $4.1 million to settle Justice Department charges that it seized 413 cars owned by the service members without a court order, order a violation of federal law. The bank will pay $10,000 to each of the affected service members, plus lost equity in the cars with interest and repair their credit. And finally. Mm-hmm. Um so you know what a tracksuit is, right Matt? Oh yeah. I'm sure you have, you know a I have couple about of those. Four of them. He's yeah. wearing he's wearing one right now. right now. Yeah, I like how it's, you know, pink and you like stuff. It? So. Yeah. Anyway, so a man in New York has decided to wear instead a trash suit. Ew. Um, so he's going to wear a clear plastic suit containing every piece of garbage he produces for 30 days. A film crew will follow him as he plans to create the American average of 4.5 4. pounds of trash per day, which will ultimately amount to 135 pounds. So he's going to wear this clear plastic trash suit. Um, he's basically going to be a walking billboard of environmental awareness to educate and inspire people to make positive changes in their life to reduce waste. Does this
2: man have a job?
4: Uh, he, sounds like he's a blogger of some sort, so... Okay, sounds like some YouTuber, publicity. Yep.
2: Blog in a bag, that should be his new name. Blog in a bag! By the end of this thing, he'll be 120 pounds of garbage.
4: 135.
2: Holy Hannah, that's a lot of garbage. And
4: he's going to wear it for 30 days, not taking it off. <sighs> Disgusting. To be
2: married to that
4: man. I don't know if he's married. I doubt it.
3: <laughs> Why are we whispering?
2: I
7: don't know. It's
4: very
2: important. <laughs> but
4: it, It's a lot of fun.
2: I don't want everyone to hear. That is crazy. Ah, we need something like that, though. Sadie, you're over social media, so if you would please go find some little eccentric thing we could do. Yeah. That would get us a lot of attention.
4: That'd thought, be great. I thought what you do every day gets you a lot of attention. It's
2: where you got it wrong. Oh, well. But back to the drawing board. Yeah, I I mean, I thought like having with Terry and Kelly having their baby. Yeah. And then today we're going to announce something in hour number three of the show about naming rights. Oh, and that we're going to see if we can't get the Souths to let us name the baby. Wow. And I think we could get some publicity on that.
4: Well, have you revealed the name that Terry and his wife have chosen for the baby yet? No, I think we should do that as well.
2: Should we wait till the baby arrives?
4: Yeah. And then we can say what her name is, how many pounds she is, and how beautiful she is.
2: Oh, I can hardly wait.
4: Just like Terry. Pardon? Terry is beautiful. Really? Yeah. Okay, his wife is more beautiful, but let's be honest.
2: I mean, let's be honest. The baby's beauty is coming from Kelly. Yes, absolutely. Okay, well, uh, we will be announcing naming rights. Um, sometime soon, and I probably won't do a garbage thing, but I would like Sadie to think about that, and I'm pretty sure Jeff would love to wear something for a month.
4: Yes, Captain.
2: Pajamas? Can I wear pajamas Different for a month? Different pajamas every day. Then we'll call you Pajama Man. Hey, we got so much to talk about. Thank you, Sadie, by the way. Um, have you ever had a kidney stone, Jeffrey? No, thank goodness. I've had two. Okay. Uh, Chip. Chip was my first one. Cute little chip (laughs) off the old block, we call him. Worst pain in the world is passing a kidney stone. But according to a new study, the next time you have a kidney kidney stone, don't go to the doctor and don't just stay at home. Don't stay at home writhing in pain. Head to your local amusement park. After hearing from patients who said their kidney stones passed without pain after going for a ride on Big Thunder Mountain at Disney World, researchers at Michigan State University decided to conduct a test using a 3D printer. They created silicon models and put kidney stones of various sizes, and then they took these models for a ride, and guess what? Bada boom, bada bing. The scientists say that the largest stones, even the largest stones of various sizes, were able to pass through. (laughs) That is the sound of success, by the way. Mm. Is this uh, stone-passing music?
3: It's uh, Love Roller Coaster. Ohio players.
2: Can't you just see, you know, please keep your hands and feet in the roller coaster at all times? Those of you suffering from kidney stones, just hang on. It'll be your pain will be over soon. Researchers report the bumpiest uh, the bumpiness of the roller coaster likely does not create enough turbulence to pass the stone, and the rush of adrenaline probably causes movement in the ureter, helping propel the stones. So it's kind of it's it's a little bit of the centrifugal forces. It's the bumpiness, and most importantly. It's the uh, it's the adrenaline pump. Researchers say the models show that stones did pass all the way after at least one ride. They really hurt. I'm going to have a lump there, you idiot. Just some of the participants of the study. Um, and anyway, so it's a good thing. If you want to pass a kidney stone, it's time to hit Disney World. In fact, that would be a great slogan for them. We're more than just your kid's playground the most relieving place on earth yeah (laughs) nobody can clear your ureter faster than disney world that doesn't sound very good but as a guy that's had a kidney stone i'd pay a million dollars it hurts so bad so if you take a trip to disney
3: world or disneyland we'll know why
2: you'll know exactly why i'm going for treatment I have a friend that passes them about every month, and he doesn't use meds. Oh, yeah. He's just as a pure roller coaster guy.
0: Oakley, glee
2: Anyway, uh, that's pretty fun news for you. Also, another thing you got to watch out for are just because someone's in a wheelchair doesn't mean they're not going to steal from you. Know what I mean? Uh, Orange County, Florida, Video of uh, shows a video from a beef jerky experience. That's the name of the company, Beef Jerky Experience. And the video shows a man rolling into the store in a wheelchair. He asks the owner for a box saying he's going to buy a lot of jerky. But then he then waits for her to walk away from the register. And the minute uh, she does, then the video shows the man grabs bills from the tip jar and tucks them under his leg. You're a monster! Totally. The owner then comes back with the box, and the man quickly rolls out of the store. He needs to oil his wheels, apparently. Look at him go! <laughs> this is a great video. Uh got away with the money, folks. It's she was upset because it's a donation jar. They're, they use it to raise money for um, good causes
3: for people and, in wheelchairs, yeah. right? Uh huh.
2: And so, a that's crazy, and basically a robbery, a theft. But more crazy is the fact that there is a place called Beef Jerky Experience. Right. I don't
3: know. A whole store of jerky. It's a
2: lot of jerky, folks. He was just trying to
3: cut out the middleman, though. If it was going to end up in his hands anyway, why have it go through some
2: charity? Right. Right. Well, I guess there's one more thing we got to talk about. And then we'll take our break. Um... The five second rule, folks. It's real. It's it's not as real as you think. It's <sighs> Rutgers University has studied it. Five second rule, right? Where if you drop food on the ground and if it's there less than five seconds, then it's safe, so pick it up and eat it. Well, according to the study by Rutgers, the food when it hits the ground is infected instantaneously. <laughs> The findings were published this month in the American Society for Microbiology. Researcher Donald Schaffner said the five-second rule is a significant oversimplification of what actually happens when bacteria transfers from a surface to a food. Schaffner's re- research isn't the first to conclude that the favorite excuse of the five-second rule is actually wrong. You can't do it. So we wanted you to know that. Uh, give up the five-second rule. And because of this, we we called on one of our scientists here at BYU to give us um, their take. Uh, Dr. Von Strudel, I believe his name is. We wanted his take on the five-second rule.
0: Hello, I'm Dr. Von Strudel with the Weird Science Minute. The science. Today I will educate you on the fabled five-second rule. While it is true the contamination process begins upon contact with a dirty surface, I'd like to provide you with three common scenarios in which the five-second rule applies and when it does not. Science and ethics. Scenario one. You drop your hot dog on the kitchen counter. The five-second rule applies. Unless there is chicken juice on the counter from dinner preparation. Does not apply. You don't like it. Scenario two. You're hang gliding while eating a hoagie. And the hoagie falls into a fluffy cloud. Five second rule applies. Unless it's a fluffy cloud of smog, it does not apply. Uh, Scenario 3. Your baseball stadium nachos junk food plummet to the floor of the overcrowded bathroom. Five second rule applies. As long as you only have five seconds left to live, then by all means eat away. Because we can do it. It doesn't necessarily mean that we should do it. I'm Dr. Von Strudel, and that's weird science. Science? science.
2: Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, Kyle uh, Greenwald is joining us. He's an associate professor in the Department of Teacher Education at Michigan State University, and he studies the social studies school curriculum by exploring the ways in which history is applicable to the present. And the question we had for him was about homeschooling and how homeschooling is, uh, how it's going in America. He wrote a wonderful article in The Conversation and gave us a lot of insight because I think we have some interesting beliefs about homeschooling and those that are are involved in homeschooling. And I wanted Kyle to come on and and really, you know, maybe teach us what's really happening in homeschooling. Uh, Kyle Greenwald, thank you so much for being with us today.
6: Uh, good morning, Matt. Thanks for having me.
2: So you, you also, by the way, are the author of the book uh, entitled "Homeschooling: Creating Schools That Work for Kids, Parents, and Teachers." It, it seems like when I was growing up, and you know, I used to think, "Well, homeschooling who would who would want to miss this great experience of public education or education in a in a more public setting?" But it, it, it it's not. It used to be, it seems like, you know, people that religiously wouldn't, couldn't tolerate the school system didn't like it. Those were the ones that uh, had pulled away. Talk to us about the history of how homeschooling started. It's not a new idea, is it?
6: No, it's not a new idea, Matt. If you, if we kind of step back and think about it, um, you know, for most of the uh, history of humankind, um, children have learned from their parents and other elders in their community in a home or community setting, they haven't necessarily gone to a place that we've set aside and said, you know, go learn here. Uh, this is where you learn, and the other spaces of your life are, you know, devoted to other pursuits. Um, so, you know, in that way, it's not a new idea. But of course, you know, we've come to think about it as a modern phenomena. And in many ways, when we talk about homeschooling, that's what we're talking about. Uh, the, uh, you know, modern homeschooling movement. I, you know, in some ways. It's a tricky story to tell because uh, there's really you know, two wings, I think, in the, in the 70s when it really emerges. There's right. kind of more of a secular, critical wing, concerned about some of the deadening effects of you know, rote learning. Um, uh, could be even viewed as a certain type of indoctrination. You know, sit, sit quietly, fold your hands, listen. Uh, but then there has been, and certainly the public face of uh, homeschooling and the people who really did a lot of the work to to make sure that this was an option for parents, uh, were mostly Christian evangelicals. Hmm. And so I think that's, you know, who we tend to think about uh, when we think about homeschoolers. And of course, there's a lot of stereotypes, as you're alluding to. Right. Uh, we could talk about those, or I think people probably know what we're talking about: the you know socially awkward child, child who doesn't kind of fit in. Uh, the child who, you know, kind of wilts at the first uh, taunt from the playground bully. Hmm. Um, You know, but uh, all the evidence we have, you know, in the research, and certainly I think if you talk to homeschool families, if you interact with those kids, you know, you see the wide diversity that you do in the public schools.
2: And and it really, I mean, right now I think the latest statistics that you cited, 1.5 million children were homeschooled in the United States in 07. Which was up significantly from '03, which was at 1.1 million.
6: Yeah, and um, some evidence, some of the um, coming from homeschool advocacy groups, but uh, claims of two million, you know. So uh, I don't think that's an unreasonable claim. So it seems like there's a lot of growth there, you know. And if we add in now options for online charter schools, which I know are um, something happened in Utah. Yeah. Uh, those are another group of kids who are being educated in the home, but are actually not probably being counted in those numbers. It's, so it's it's a it's a growing phenomenon, I think we can say.
2: And and it seems like uh, it's being more and more accepted by the states as well. With um, it, it seems like more states are now allowing these homeschooled kids to come in and still participate in extracurricular activities, athletics, and and other other educational programs as well.
6: Yeah. I personally think that's a really exciting development. Uh, certainly, you know, in the 80s, again, that generation that kind of established um, the right to homeschool or, you know, that, that option it uh, is now um, an option in all 50 states. Um, it's actually okay. legal. It used to not be legal, huh? Right, right. Yeah, um, exactly. It's legal in all 50 states. There hasn't been, like, a, a, a right established to homeschool, but certainly right. it's legal. Um, and uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. So I think there's a lot of exciting trends. It does differ state by state. You know, what I've seen in Utah is that there's uh, you know, kind of minimal, um, you might say minimal oversight or certainly minimal um, uh, directing to the parents what they need to do. Mm. There's a lot of freedom for parents and there's also a lot of encouragement of cooperation, as you say, uh, in terms of extracurriculars uh... the sports issue has become a big one uh, a lot of states are considering what they're calling the tim tebow laws uh... allowing you know named after tim tebow who was uh... homeschooled in florida hmm. uh... but played high school um, football and went on to fame at the university of florida and i was a baseball player um, so states are considering that um, in many states homeschool students can come to the public schools and take one or two classes uh... i think some districts are trying to think creatively, you know, about how they can create space for homeschool cooperatives or uh, other homeschool families to take advantage of some of the resources of the public schools. Um, so we're seeing, I think, in some spaces, more cooperation. And I think that's definitely to be welcomed.
2: Is, uh, when you have researched this, is it the same quality of education? I mean, I'm assuming in some cases it could be even better just to have because you know you might have a parent that was is well educated and really deeply into this opportunity and giving you a completely different type of learning more hands on maybe more field trips or what have you is it the same learning um as and the same are they coming out with the same standards are they coming out higher where where does a homeschooled child how do they come out how does it work
6: so that uh, is kind of the most controversial aspect of all the research, uh, comparing outcomes of homeschool children with uh, publicly schooled children. And uh, as you can imagine, it's hard to set up control groups there and to really figure out like what's going on. But the evidence we do have, um, maybe as flawed as it is, suggests that homeschool students, on a range of indicators, are doing just as well, if not slightly better, uh, than publicly schooled students. Mm-hmm. Um, And then I think, you know, the point that you made, though, is probably the more important one. There's going to be a range uh, of outcomes. Uh, There is in the public schools, and there's going to be uh, in homeschools, you know. And ultimately, you know, each child brings something different to the world. Uh, Each child um, is capable of achieving in different areas. And so I think this is part of the conversation that's really helpful. Is like, what do we want for our public schools? Or what do we think a well-educated person looks like? Um, So that, uh, I think there's debate about that in the public schools. Is this about learning academics? Is this developing, you know, strong character and citizenship skills? Is this about job readiness? Uh, We, you know, are starting to have that conversation again after 15 years of really focusing mostly on academics. Uh, So I think in the homeschool community, that's, parents have a greater freedom to really decide, like, you know, what, what do I want out of my child's uh, early education? Hmm. Understanding that they're going to go on learning the rest of their life. Um, so I it, think that's that's an important point.
2: Yeah, and it seems to be it seems to be a, kind of a changing face as well because um, it's it's probably not just the same old two groups, kind of the ones that were afraid of the the rote kind of learning approach or the just the religious. Um, they they just wanted to separate and have a, a cleaner, more religious experience through schools. Um, it might. It seems like now there's a variety of other reasons and actually healthy, you know, opportunities for kids to learn uh, f- at home.
6: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, so obviously religion is still really important uh, for a lot of people uh, when they homeschool, but. Of course, even within religious communities, there's incredible diversity, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they're, you know, only teaching their version of religion, or uh, that they're not open to other ways of viewing the world, or having their children interact with that. But when, you know, some of the things we see in the research, you know, students with uh, special needs, um, perhaps extreme special needs that the public school can't really meet, uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, Students with allergies, which we know are Hmm. much more common now, schools try to do a good job with that, but it's hard when students have severe allergies. It's it's a severe risk in some cases. Um, The Olympics remind us that there are students who have a special dream uh, in sports or the arts, and homeschooling is often a a good option for them. Um, Most interesting are getting some... Uh, I think of the most press these days, uh, a growing number of African-American parents who are homeschooling uh, out of concern that the school is just not providing a positive, uh, safe um, environment that, you know, that our society where racism exists, uh, that that, of course, filters into the school as well.
2: Hmm. Does it... I mean, I guess one of the things I would always worry about is just kind of more the social integration, the ability to socialize these kids. And I mean, the, the neat thing is, it's not like there's there's not a million things they can go do socially uh, with sporting teams and other things, extracurricular stuff. Is are they how are they socialized, and how does the typical homeschooling family make sure that uh, they're not just putting their child away in a bubble? Right.
6: You know, so you're absolutely right. Uh, the socialization aspect is, is key for any education. You know, we have to learn how to get along with other people, people who are different from us. Um, and of course, there's, if you think about our society, there's learning opportunities everywhere. Like, we don't just need to go to school to learn. And I think that is certainly one positive message I take away from the homeschooling movement is that learning is all around us. So we can think about uh, where I live in Michigan, you know, uh, in Lansing. Uh, You know, our children's museum slash science museum, our local zoo, I mean, they have programs, of course, that during the day are catered to uh, homeschool families. Um, Music programs, um, you know, they fill up after four, but during the day, uh, you can get in for your lessons. Uh, Homeschool cooperatives are really uh, popular, I think, in homeschool families, where maybe once a week, uh, maybe four days of the week, you're home reading. Um, um, you know, studying your lessons. I mean, Utah, uh, like in most states, homeschool families agree to teach the same subjects that all other students are learning uh, and to have approximately the same number of days of instruction. Uh, but that flexibility to get out in the community, uh, to join a homeschool cooperative. Uh, I was just looking yesterday at uh, a new kind of social networking app that uh, just shows you what's going, the learning community is going on in hmm. your in your community you know and they do some minimal background checks. uh... they have parents give input of the classes that are given but you know i think moving toward a kind of a a learning society where we understand that uh, all institutions should devote some of their uh, mission to, to education of not just young but old and that to some degree all of us are teachers uh... we all have something we can share and so teachers you know, I, I was a public school teacher. I certainly work with a lot of them. Uh, I support them deeply, uh, and they have a special role to play in this. I think.
2: I do but, too. Uh, I, yeah, I, Kyle, let's take a break. I think, I think it's a it's a it's a pretty innovative thing, um, especially if your child uh, was struggling in the first place, or if you if you wanted to be a little different and and fine-tune it to, to the needs of the individual, which I think historically schools have struggled doing. Um, interesting learning. We'll take a break, come back. More with Kyle Greenwald, Associate Professor in the Department of Teacher Education at Michigan State University. We're talking homeschooling and the innovations, the new face of homeschooling. Stick with us. We'll be right back. To the Matt Townsend Show, homeschooling—it's—it's—it's uh, it's, it's growing. It seems like in uh, the number of people doing it and the number of families involved in it, it's also succeeding in many regards and uh, a lot of interesting new dynamics with technology and learning models and just opportunities, even apps that are now being used for homeschoolers. We've asked Dr. Kyle Greenwalt to join us. He is a professor in the Department of Teacher Education at Michigan State University, and he studies school curriculum by exploring the ways in which history is applicable to the present. He's the author of the uh, book entitled Homeschooling, uh, Creating Schools That Work for Kids, Parents, and Teachers. Dr. uh, Kyle Greenwalt, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, Matt. Having a good time. This is a. It's again. We there were so many stereotypes about the kids that were homeschooled, and and yet then you see a, T, a Tim Tebow uh, who was obviously working on his his uh, athletic career and very much successful and a great guy. Kind of held up as a, an incredibly honorable, decent human being. Obviously, able to get through Florida State as well. And um, – or was it Florida? I think it was Florida. Florida, yeah. yeah. And he made it – and then to the Broncos and everywhere else that he's gone and now playing baseball, by the way, just hit a home run his first time up to bat in minor league baseball. But I guess, Kyle, when when I think of, of homeschooling, in a way, it's uh, – th- this could be something more of the future, couldn't it? Where You now have this very customized curriculum, and you can now actually go online and get so many classes, and now these kids can even go back to school and get college credit so they could get through school faster. Do you sense it's going to become even a a bigger opportunity? Will more people be homeschooling in the future?
6: Well, man, it's a really interesting question, you know? I think the... um The idealistic side of me would like to see, of course, more personalized learning, uh, to see parents more involved in their child's education, uh, to see again our whole society uh, embrace, you know, putting learning at the center of what we do, putting learning at the center of our homes, um, but learning, you know, at the center of our our public spaces, you know, and not just uh, who's right and who's wrong. So. You know, part of me would love that. I, I agree, you know, uh, people right in the 70s imagine these learning networks that could exist hmm. that would get kids out into the community. But, of course, you know, that was, you know, they were thinking of going through the phone book or things like that, you know. And now uh, we are social media society and we can um, find uh, affiliation groups and people with similar interests or uh, niche interests and uh, develop skills. Uh, share those skills, so I think you know that's incredibly uh, exciting to ponder you know there's there are some big questions there uh, most or many families are um, dual career or dual income mm-hmm. and uh, you know we're moving toward a more flexible working society too where there's maybe more opportunities for some folks to work at home or work you know four days a week or telecommute uh, you know the possibilities are there you know, and I think uh we have some choices to make as a society. Are we going to support this? Um, It's hard to know. Yeah. And we uh, certainly view schooling as a rite of passage. Yeah. There's a lot of, you know, people remember the, you know, the Friday night football game, the homecoming dance, uh, their graduation. So some of these, you know, they go deeper than just an organization. I think they're very much, uh, we view them almost as rites of passage, and I think that's why we get a little nervous mm-hmm. when people, uh, you know, say, well, that's not for me. So it's hard to say what will happen. There's a lot of uh, strong opinions out there, you know, that are very against homeschooling.
2: Yeah. Well, and it also, I mean, we also are dealing, I guess, with institutions and um, you know, laws and tax codes and money and numbers and, you know, a lot of people need to keep <laughs> numbers up. Um, but too, there seems to be a lot of pressure on the parent of the homeschool when they're homeschooling. I mean, it's you can't just pretend to like do homework on the weekend with your kid. This is every day. This is a major commitment from the parent.
6: Yeah, it is. It is. I, You know, I I don't know if I could do it myself. You know, I yeah. have three children, and uh, you know, I'm deeply involved in their education. But I'm I'm thankful that there's a public school there that can share that burden with me. But I have a lot of admiration for uh, the parents that I know that do this. Um, I think they remind us all that raising kids is uh, a lot of work and it's a huge responsibility.
2: Hmm. And financially, it's got to be a major sacrifice because I mean, it would it could potentially make you a just no longer a dual income family if if you actually made such a commitment. And, and then to, to think of having three kids, four kids that you're taking through this at different levels and be able to create uh, some of the, the, I don't know, I guess just the opportunities that they all need. What, I, I guess, if somebody was considering doing homeschooling, what should they be thinking about before they make the big move?
6: Well, I think, you know, if it's something you're considering, you know, I mean, obviously you want to consult your child. Uh, I think this is something that they have to want to do and you have to know your child first of all. Is this um, a situation in which they're going to flourish? You know, we've tended in our society kind of shift the responsibility of learning away from the learner, you know, and I think any teacher knows and any parent knows that it's it's the child's responsibility at the end of the day. Like, we can't force them to learn. Hmm. So it has to, and, and we don't need to. I mean, this is, look at an infant, the, the way they interact with the world, their curiosity. Um, so this is, you know, a not something, This is, we don't have to view this necessarily as as an insurmountable task, educating children. But you can't do it alone. Okay? So, you know, know the groups. Uh, I would say network. Uh, think about the, what are the opportunities in your community uh, that are going to allow uh, your child to have a rich uh, experience, not just in the home, but outside of the home? I think uh, some research suggests that when parents first try to homeschool, they often try to recreate the school uh, in, in their home
7: mm-hmm.
6: you know, with um, scheduled times uh, for scheduled subjects much more regimented than actually learning needs to be. And so I think many uh, parents start to introduce more flexibility into the daily schedule, uh, give children some more choices, and as you say, really customize or individualize that uh, educational experience. And I think that that's important to know that um, the way in which we do school is not necessarily the only or the best model hmm. for how kids learn.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess it's, it's, it's the way we do it to get masses through, Mm-hmm. but but it doesn't necessarily i mean a lot of the historically valuable learning models it's like like you're saying turn turn the learning back to the learner let the learner kind of self initiate And I mean you can't do that at certain ages, but as they get older, to also help your your child find their passion and then help them learn mathematics through something they're passionate about. Um, I was never passionate about mathematics until I needed to take statistics classes to get a Ph.D. and validate my study. Then all of a sudden math mattered to me. But if I had been able to do that earlier in something I was passionate about, it would have made more sense to me.
6: Exactly. I mean, we're, you know, we should be rightly concerned about uh, kind of the foundational or base knowledge and skills that all kids need. Um, but we have to understand we have a lifetime to go on learning and growing. And so what we're really doing in these early years is to lay a foundation for the child to want to go on learning uh, throughout their lifetime. And So that, that motivation, uh, keeping that curiosity and that spark alive, us uh, you know, we know schools struggle with that. Kids get to Fifth, you know, they come in eager. They get to fifth, sixth, seventh grade, and uh, then school becomes something of a, you know, a drudgery or a burden for many kids, and, and hmm. that's that's sad. You know, that's uh, we know that's a reality, um, but that I think that's something our society needs to work on. Yeah,
2: no, I do too. And to also know that it, I mean, it is it's a viable option, and it's it's one that uh, I think we can. We can take advantage of. It doesn't mean it also has to govern us, and doesn't mean once you you know you couldn't go back as well. It, it it's it's there for all of us. I appreciate your work, uh, Dr. Kyle Greenwald. Thank you for being with us again. And uh, go check out the book "Homeschooling: Creating Solutions That Work for Kids, Parents, and Teachers." It's another option, folks. If you're if you're struggling, if your child is struggling in the in their situation, or They just aren't maximizing it. Um, Maybe there's levels of homeschooling that would work, and there are a ton of resources. So go uh, go start looking for some of those resources if that's the direction you need to take. Just another option of life, my friends. We'll take a break, come back, wrap up hour number two of the program. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Man, I forgot about Airborne, uh, the airlines that sponsors the show. That's uh, Why didn't Terry and Kelly, why didn't they go to Airborne to have their baby?
3: They could have walked away with a
2: million air airlines. miles. Right. Which, with the way air miles go today, that's easily, that's one person's flight and one, a half. One leg of a flight. <laughs> Uh, I hope they're doing great. Remember, Terry, our producer, Terry South and his wife, Kelly, are currently in the hospital having a baby.
3: Any update on that?
2: We are checking with Sadie on an update, baby update. Okay, the stork has not yet delivered the baby. They are waiting in the waiting room for the gentle dropping of the baby into the arms of the mother. That was sweet. That's not how it goes. She's waiting to be tortured. We uh, have got some important news for you folks. Seriously, before you leave home, you need to kiss your significant other goodbye. Mm. Thank you, Jeff. Oh, that's enough, Jeffrey. (laughs) Anyway... um, you gotta kiss your spouse goodbye. According to a ten year study, a psychology study undertaken in Germany, during the eighties they found that men who kissed their wives before leaving for work, on average, they lived five years longer. Whoa. I know. So should I wake my wife up and kiss her?
3: Absolutely.
2: And they, they just share that. the study
3: with her mm-hmm. <laughs> before she punches me in the face. If
2: you want to live five years longer, if you want to earn 20 to 30% more than your peers, you better leave with a kiss. Love the song, by the way. You got a kiss. And now, the kissing also, by the way, decreased the possibility of a car accident by 50%. Say woo! I know. One cute little kiss from your significant other can change your life. It makes you happier, healthier, live longer, make more money. Psychologists do not believe it's the kiss itself that accounts for all of that, but rather the kissers were likely to begin the day with a positive attitude. I'm just going to put on a helmet before I give her a kiss. Well, just let her know that before I leave, I'm going to kiss. We got a kiss. Dr. Matt said, we needeth a kiss. Or we dieth early. A large number of studies have shown that touching someone on the upper arm for just a second or two can have a surprisingly significant effect on how much help they then provide. Mm. By the way, make sure that touch is consensual. And don't be doing it at work. Similar uh, work has shown that the same subtle touch also significantly increases the likelihood that people will sign petitions. So if you need a petition signed, make sure you're touching the people. It also uh, leaving a t- it helps uh, with tipping. So if the waitress tips or touches your arm for a second, or the attendant might touch your arm as you're going through the toll booth, you might throw a tip out to him. Hmm, You also might lose your arm. just saying. So affection folks, it makes you more successful. And uh, as we love to do what we can to pick up your game and help you help pick up ours, Let's just spend this weekend lots of touch, and let's commit that we won't leave home without a kiss. That was very touching. Thank you. And end scene. Okay, we will wrap it up, folks. That's hour number two of the program. Stick with us, helping you live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives, one kiss at a time. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. You can stop touching me now, Matt.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
2: Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. It's Friday, hour number three, which means time to wrap it up. This is your Friday, folks. So if you have a typical work week, guess what? It's time to kick back, get out and do some yard work, get ready for fall, watch a little football, and if you're Terry and Kelly South, take care of a brand new baby. Baby alert, baby update. Terry South, uh, the producer of the show, is away right now on paternity leave with his wonderful wife, Kelly. Waiting for the stork to deliver a bundle, and uh, as of yet, Sadie, no bundles delivered bundleless okay, but uh, we did hear that he is hungry, <laughs> so we won 't tell where he is, but uh, he 's hungry terry 's family need you need to take Terry some food. We've got a great program for you today, of course. A uh, a lot to talk about, including um, we will get to Rod Gustafson for the parent previews. We'll be reviewing some movies that will be coming out this weekend. You're not going to want to miss that because you, you like of the movies. Are you going to go see any of those? I don't know if I'll see any of the ones that we're talking about today.
3: Masterminds? You wouldn't go see Masterminds? I think that sounds
2: interesting. Okay. But I would probably rather... I don't know. Watch some games. There's a game. Mm-hmm. There's a game tonight that I'd probably rather see, and then tomorrow night I'll be busy. You know, church stuff. I
3: think I would go see that movie solely on the fact that it's got Jason Sudeikis and mm-hmm. Zach Galifianakis, and it's not an R-rated movie. Wow. So I feel like
2: I need to support that. No, that's a great idea. No, I will probably need to go support that.
3: Can I read you a quick quote from Zach Galifianakis Please. about this movie? About this movie, yes. The R-rated movies are easy to do, but language has become such a crutch that it doesn't interest me. This is a more innocent movie, and that's really what attracted me to do, uh, to it. It's nice to have a movie that you can maybe take your aunt to, and dr- the drive home is not completely quiet. Hmm. Which I imagine they would be if he took his aunt to see any of
2: his <laughs> hangover movies. Yeah, any of his other movies. Yeah, that's a that might be a great test. The great the ant test. How do how does it go when I take my aunt to it? That would eliminate, I don't know, pretty much all of the Rs. Isn't that
3: the worst when you are with somebody that you yeah. you would be horrified seeing those
2: movies with? Yeah. Like a child like a you know. That's why we go to parent previews because they help you understand the movies from a parent's perspective. So should your kids be seeing this plus some interesting discussion?
3: I once saw The Cider House Rules with my parents in the movie theater. It was the most awkward experience of my life.
2: Do you want to talk about it? No, not really. (laughs) I'd rather forget about it, Matt. Thank you. Uh, We'll get to that therapeutic moment in just a bit. Uh, We also, after Rod, we'll be uh, doing a little, um, what do we call it, news flush. We've got to get rid of some news stories that have been backing up. We're just going to flush them, let you know the news, but get rid of it. Also, we are going to continue celebrating International Podcast Day, which today is the day that we celebrate the Matt Townsend Show podcast. You can get it on every – well, not every, but you can get it on iTunes, the big ones. TuneIn, Stitcher, you name it, we've got it. Podbean, you can go to byuradio.org, download them. You can go get the app on Android or for Apple. Pigeon Carrier. Pigeon Carrier. If you're into Morse code, we provide the podcast via Morse. Flags, we use the old semen flag. Sign language. Sign. Yeah. It's the International Podcast Day. And yet Mad we're Channel only Church. celebrating one show. We're celebrating the podcast that, you know, could change your life. And what was, the, what was the standard answer that we should give if somebody has a question that we can't answer? Merkel. Merkle. <laughs> You always – if somebody asks you a question, for example, let's say you're running for president. You're Gary Johnson and somebody comes up, shoves a microphone in your face and says, hey, who's your favorite global leader or leader of another country? You say Merkel. Always go with Merkel. Hillary Clinton knows that. Gary Johnson? G Didn't know. Uh, what's the name of that guy that used to be president of Mexico? Oh. Uh. Anyway, Merkel. Merkel's the answer. So, what's the answer if someone asks you, what's your favorite uh, podcast internationally? Not Merkel. That's not the answer. The answer is the Matt Townsend Show. It does a body good. So, that's up to date. It's also Mud Pack Day, the day that you're okay to go rub mud on your body. It will take care and cure 78 different conditions. Just a little good mud bath. That's why the pigs like it. And by the way, pig skin, supple, smooth, silky.
3: And apparently
2: they don't have sweat glands. Exactly. So what's your excuse? (laughs) Anyway, um, we'll get to all of that fun. Plus, of course, our hero of the day. We'll visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation who have got to gear up for the big show tonight. Tons going on, folks. But first... Let's get to the really the the new lead of the entire team, Sadie Nielsen, who's holding down twenty different jobs as Terry is away on paternity leave. Sadie, what's going on with the headlines?
4: US health officials are advising pregnant women to postpone travel to eleven countries in Southeast Asia because of Zika outbreaks in the region. The advisory issued Thursday targets travel to countries such as Malaysia, Cambodia, Vietnam, and Thailand. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention said Zika has been in some areas of Southeast Asia for years, but some residents may be immune. But a number of U.S. travelers have become infected there in the last year, so there is a danger to visitors. A six-year-old boy is fighting for his life a day after he was shot at his elementary school in South Carolina, his family said Thursday. As investigators said, they were looking into the possibility that the teen suspect in the shooting may have been bullied. Jacob Hall, a student at Townville Elementary School, was listed in critical condition Thursday afternoon at Greenville Health Systems Children's Hospital. Dr. Keith Webb from the hospital said in a statement that the bullet hit jacob's femoral artery causing massive blood loss and jacob has undergone multiple surgeries so far the investigation is still underway as the teen suspect will appear in juvenile court in anderson county this morning Two Vincent van Gogh paintings have been recovered by police in Italy 14 years after being stolen, stolen, officials said Friday. Police in Naples said the works, described as being of priceless value, were discovered during a crackdown targeting in the Naples-based Camorra crime clan. They were taken from the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam in 2002 and appear to be in relatively good condition, according to a news release (coughs) announcing this discovery. It is not immediately clear when they will be returned to the Netherlands. And... Finally. Yes. A Florida woman who won the opportunity to punch or slap. Yes, that's correct. Uh-huh. Former pharmaceutical CEO Martin Scarelli in the face after donating $50,000 to a child recovering from cancer. <laughs> Martin auctioned the opportunity in hopes of raising money for five-year-old Tyler Coolidge, son of Martin's PR consultant, Mike Coolidge, who died recently in his sleep. I will auction one slap and punch in the face to benefit my friend Mike, who passed away and leaves behind a young son who survived cancer, he wrote on Twitter. Martin announced on Wednesday that the woman named Katie, who had won the raffle, promised to match her $50,000 donation. And he clarified that she would be granted permission to repeatedly pummel me in the face as she had requested. Lucky. (laughs) So I'm assuming she had some sort of something out for the CEO if she wanted to repeatedly pummel him in the face. Yeah. But it was all for a good cause, so it doesn't matter.
2: Oh, my heavens. But this is the guy – this is the one that hiked up the price of – is this the same guy that had the really bad reputation because he hiked up the price of drugs that people needed with certain diseases and – Ooh, so he's got a bad reputation. Yes. So, but there's a difference between a slap and a punch.
4: And being pummeled in the face. Yeah,
2: I mean, a, a, a you know, a slap, a punch, or a pummel. Hmm.
4: But it, like I said,
2: it was all for a good cause. Great cause. So. Boy, I hope he's got a good dentist. Yep. Well, and two, wouldn't that scare you if a guy had paid more? Like a huge, burly, mixed martial arts fighter.
4: Yes, that would have really stunk for him
2: then you could have done a little pay-per-view really raised up the ante
4: (laughs) and suddenly you're making a million dollars in one setting
2: man that's cool well you gotta you know give it to the guy the guy's willing to take a punch for his friend thank you Sadie i take a punch for you
4: I appreciate that Matt
2: Hawaiian punch that is
4: Ah, okay
2: I don't like violence especially when it's directed at me Sadie's really holding down the fort. Terry, better watch out. He better, because Sadie's on Fuego.:. Watch out. Hey, what do we talk about? You know, there's so many stories we tell you, and there's so many things that we go through, and some of them matter more to you maybe than others. Like just last hour we were talking about how you got to kiss your spouse goodbye. Because it makes your life better. You earn 30% more. You're less likely to get in a car accident just by a little affection.
3: I'll be having that discussion with my wife tonight.
2: Let me know how that goes.
3: Okay. I'll let you know on Monday. (laughs) I have a
2: black eye. Yeah. It sounds like she doesn't want to have you wake her up in the morning. Well, the kids do a great job of that, waking her up,
3: you know, around 530 or 6 anyway. So Hmm. you can understand.
2: I totally understand. I'm totally with you. Um, but one story that we, I did want to make sure we got to is a story about Olive Garden. Have you ever heard of their unlimited pasta pass? Of course. Now they're selling these pasta passes on eBay for as much as $4,500. I know. What? How much would you pay for an endless pasta for seven weeks? I would need to be paid. $4,500. $100? No. How about 200 No. How about 300 No. F- people are paying $4,500 for these because it's a never-ending pasta bowl promotion, and it was going on eBay. The passes, um, as the name might suggest, give a diner endless access to the chain's never-ending pasta bowl, complete with sauce and toppings of your choice, of course, from October 3rd to November 20th. They're priced at $100 each. Without a pass, you have to pony up $9.99 per dish. So when you think about it, that's a lot of pasta. That's a lot of pasta. <laughs> that's a lot of pasta. Last year when Olive Garden released 2,000 passes for the promotion, they sold out in less than a minute. This year the company made more than 20,000 available. They were snatched up in less than a second, according to MarketWatch. So is it really... Worth it? The average pass holder visited the Italian restaurant chain 28 times during the promotion. Oh, But how many bowls of pasta could one eat? I don't think the math pays out. Would you buy one of those passes? No, not for $4,500. That's a lot of pasta. How about 4200 No. Lower.
3: 4100 Even lower. All right final offer 4000. Mm-hmm.
2: Do I get breadsticks uh with a drink purchase. <laughs> Sounds like that'll add up to 4500 eventually. I'll take it. Anyway, just wanted to let you know that if you want an Olive Garden all you can eat pass on pasta, it's just 4500 bucks. Finally, um well, Does it have to be finally? Yes, it does. Do you love yourself a good car dealership? I can't get enough of them. I am looking for a car, and I went to a car dealership yesterday. Such a pleasant place to be. (sighs) A world uh, first is happening, though, down in Australia. At the starting line, engines pumping and thumping in time. Near the Brisbane, Australia airport, they're going to be opening in 2020 a car dealership with its own test track so you can go buy a car take the model and take it right out on a racetrack and test the car at the highest speed you'd like to go the 126 acre site will house up to 25 dealerships from most major brands giving buyers the opportunity to compare rival cars all in the same driving condition. So I'm assuming you'll like go get a Mustang, and a Corvette, Tesla, a Tesla, test all of these. But the problem is, on the track, you're going to have some dude driving a Prius. And we'd like to show you what it sounds like to drive a Prius. Here is the sound when you test drive a Prius at 75 miles an hour. Yeah, that's quiet.
3: Wow. Was that even on? Are you sure that car was even on? That guy was
2: flying. Wow. It was pretty crazy. Um, Do you want to test drive? How many cars? I mean, really, are you going to go take a brand new Corvette? Are they going to let you take a brand new Corvette up to 120 miles an hour on a test track? No. Seems a little extreme. The neat thing about this, though, it's a 1.5 mile venue. And then they can open up the track on weekend, um, so that other people from the outside that aren't looking at cars can come in. And
3: that seems cruel busy. because you are you're shattering expectations because once you get off that track and go back to the real world, yeah, you're not going to be driving yeah. 120 miles an hour. There's no Audubon here.
2: Um, yeah, I'd like to I'd like to uh, try the Volt, please. The Chevy Volt. Um, is the track open? <laughs> Oh, we are a weird people, aren't we? I'll buy any car as long as there's a racetrack there. Believe you me. Okay, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll be meeting with Rod Gustafson, finding out about the movies that are being released this weekend from Parent Previews. Do a quick review there. Also come back to a little, uh, what do we call it? A flush. We're going to flush it. Flush the news and then BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us, folks. We're wrapping it up as we hold your hand through life. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. It's Friday, and Fridays on the show means it's movies, who better to help us with that than parentpreviews.com, the, the head, what do we call you, Rod? The head film critic at Parent Previews, Rod Gustafson.
9: Yeah, sure. sure. That sure.
2: sounds great. I well, like that title, man. I mean, <laughs> I know you I, you'd usually go by Guru, His Excellence.
9: No, yeah. You know, I've tried to avoid the guru thing. I know. actually thought about that for a while. But, you know, I think in a couple of years that'll be like so
2: 2016. It totally will be. But you are the man in the know when it comes to movies. Um, And I, what I love about your site, parentpreviews.com, is you, you specialize in looking at the movies from a parent's perspective, making it so it's more family-friendly. We understand what, what's in the movie, what we need to watch out for. Today you were going to talk to us about two movies – um, and I'm going to let you lead with the, whichever one you want to first.
9: Well, let's talk about Queen of Catway first. Because, Matt, I was so impressed with this movie. We don't give out many straight A grades uh, where it's not even an A minus. This one's a big A. Huh. And, uh, yeah, wonderful film for Disney. And this is a true story about a young girl in Uganda who lived in the slums that are called Katwe, and and she one day discovers a man who is teaching other people her age, she's in her teens, and he is teaching them how to play chess and so she becomes involved in this and it turns out that she is a very very good chess player and this man who actually he is a religious aid worker and he has he has discovered that his he's teaching these young people how to play chess it increases their levels of confidence it increases their You know, their strategy and their thinking skills, and many of them, like this young girl, her name is Fiona, are illiterate. And so by playing and learning the game of chess, it helps to prepare them to eventually be able to attend school. And that's just what happens in this case. And now Fiona which is the whole movie is basically focusing on her. She comes from a family. Her her dad died a few years earlier, and now her mother is pretty much left with nothing. They're li- living in one of those little tin corrugated shacks, mm. and she lives there with her older sister and her younger brother. And, um, and her mom, the last thing she wants... Fiona doing is playing chess because Fiona needs to be out in the streets trying to sell they they get a hold of a of you know of a bag of corn every now and then and then Fiona goes out and tries to sell this on the street and that's what brings in this tiny amount of income to this family so the mother really is a difficult time with her daughter playing this silly game but the teacher who tries to explain to her, his name is Robert, he explains to her that, look, if you let me work with your daughter, she's incredibly gifted, she can eventually, she'll be able to go to school. And so that is the opportunity that that is brought here. So wow. what happens to Fiona is she starts entering into these different chess uh, tournaments, and she begins to win. And uh, it, as I say, she, it turns out, and it's not really a huge surprise because we kind of know where this movie is going. She turns out to be a very good chess player. But what's really cool about this film, Matt, is that unlike many other, I call this a sports movie because it's the same template we give to, you know, movies yeah. about football or baseball or whatever. Um, unlike most of those movies, she really battles... With a lot of the problems that come her way, even the problem of becoming somewhat famous when she starts to win these chess tournaments, she becomes a little bit more prideful. She doesn't want to help hmm. her mother anymore. And and so the learning and whatnot that she has to go through as she is discovering and developing her this talent of hers is really remarkable. And the other thing I like about this movie is... Religion plays a really positive role in this movie and just getting to know Robert and and again just to confirm these characters are all in reality real people Robert Katende, I believe is how he pronounces his name. He actually sacrifices, he's he's an electrical engineer, he sacrifices an opportunity um, to have a much better job in order to continue to do this work that he's doing in Uganda. So this is just a, a lovely film. And uh, Matt, the other cool thing about this is, I don't know how the director, the director that made this is a, is a, a woman who has lived in Uganda for many years and she is filming right in the middle of this kind of this slum city and uh mm-hmm. and there is just there's garbage all around and hordes of people and i don't know how she managed to control the film set and everything else but what's amazing is in the midst of this there is a lot of beauty and as you look at this little family trying to survive and trying to make something out of their life, it really is a just a powerful visual message as well. It's just, it's it's really a different movie and really mm. has a beautiful look to it and a wonderful message.
2: Well, and what a powerful movie to then go have conversations with your kids and open up a dialogue about life.
9: There really is. There are many great discussion points that come out of this movie. Mm. You, and, gave, you uh, gave it an you A. Know,
2: what, sorry, go ahead, you, Matt. You gave it an A, right? yes yes and
9: yeah one of the great things about this is you watch it and then as you talk about it afterwards as a family is just like there are many metaphors that go along with the game of chess for instance one of the great lines in this movie of why of why um fiona likes this name this game is because the little person can become the big person and she's talking about how you trade your pawn in for a queen and that type of Hmm. thing and uh
2: that's it's amazing. just
9: it's really hopeful and it's a very powerful message so that's really
2: really enjoyed this film. that's great a must see it sounds like and and then the other one you wanted to talk about was Deepwater Horizon
9: yes Deepwater Horizon and of course this is the movie that is chronicling the tragedy that happened on the drilling rig with Deepwater Horizon and you you know The hard part about this film, Matt, is to remember that, again, this is a true event, a Uh very recent true event that we are all very familiar with. And you start getting into it as an action film because it's it's a very well-made action film, keeps you right on the edge of your seat. But what the important message is to remember in this is these are uh, many of the characters that you see on the screen are representing real people. And what What this movie focuses on is what happened to the people who were on the drilling rig that day when when the whole thing literally exploded. And we've heard a lot about the environmental effects, which of course have been very, very important, but what about the dozens and dozens of people that were working on the rig, and many of them injured, 11 of them were killed. Mm. And so in the first part of the movie, we get to know some of those people, but then kaboom once once things start going wrong then it really does turn into a a very uh uh, high, t- high intensity action film And in fact the effects in this are so believable I'm, I'm really not sure how they shot it With all the flames and the explosions and everything else But really incredible film And uh, it's got a powerful message about you know, The human price that we pay to extract oil and, and all of the things that go on The dangers of working in this industry Especially in one of these floating rigs
2: hmm. um, what, what grades did you give that one?
9: So Deepwater Horizon is going to be coming at a B grade and we're still putting the final touches on that's the review. Good. So yeah, lots of movies this week, but these are the two that we have ready for you. Oh, that's so, that's
2: awesome. And great ones, it sounds yeah. like.
9: Yeah. These two actually are both pretty good picks. And obviously, um, Queen of Katwe probably is suitable for almost all ages, but Deepwater Horizon, you want to be careful with the kids because it is going to be quite frightening for younger kids. Yeah.
5: Well,
2: yeah, it's an oil rig exploding. I mean, that's that's crazy. Good stuff, Rod. Appreciate it. Again, highly recommend. Everybody go to parentpreviews.com where you can get the full uh, review and critique of the movie plus other tools and and helps to help you guide a conversation with your family about some of these issues as well. Rod Gustafson is his name. Parentpreviews.com is the game. Thanks, Rod, so much for being with us.
9: Thank you, Matt.
2: You bet. We'll take a break, come back, uh, do a little news flush, and then visit our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. the matt townsend show hey as we like to do at the end of the week you know so many news stories pile up that we just got to move some of them out but yet it still might be fun to know the news right so we like to do a thing we call news flush and we push the news out and flush it. it doesn't mean it's a bad story it just means we didn't have time to get to it and uh we we got we got to move on so uh today because terry is out you know with his wife Kelly having a baby, then uh, then it just, it just leaves poor Jeff and I to do the news flush. Do you have a, a, a story you're ready to talk about, Jeffrey? I have several. Let's hit it. Cool. Are you ready? Yeah.
3: Okay, here's what we've got. You want to start with a cat story? Love a good cat story. Actually, there are two cat stories. Mm. We'll have one lead into the other. So, Steve the Cat set a goal and achieved it. He not only became an honorary lamb who was accepted by the rest of the flock at his New Zealand home, he turned into its leader. This is from the Huffington Post. Really? He'll just be walking around the yard and they'll be following him, Steve's owner told the New Zealand Herald. Or he'll be playing in the bushes and they'll be inquisitive, looking to see what he's doing and following him through the bushes. Hmm. Whitlock told the Herald that Steve had been an indoor cat until the lamb started coming in on cold nights. Soon, he was heading outside during the day when they were let out. You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me <laughs> of the movie Babe. Yes. You know ah, how he becomes babe. the uh, yeah, the sheepdog like the pig? Alpha,
2: yeah. That's And cool. then
3: the farmer says, that'll do pig. The sheepdog pig. Yeah.
2: That's a good flush. Flush it! <laughs>
3: Okay, so moving in cat story to the number Next two, cat story. Yeah. Internet sensation Grumpy Cat. Have you ever seen Grumpy Cat? No. Let me see. I might have a picture of him. Here. Grumpy.
2: Oh, I Yeah, just the face of the Grumpy Cat. Oh, yeah. That see that grumpy, grumpy Cat? He is
3: grumpy. Mm. So, Internet sensation Grumpy Cat joins the cast of the Broadway musical. Can you guess which one? Um, cats. On Friday, he'll be joining cats. Uh, let's see, the kitty with the comical frown and feline dwarfism will be worked into the end of the show, and will become an honorary jellical cat. Do you know what a jellical cat is? Uh, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing I bet like it right. It's like angelical. Grumpy Cat has become an online phenomenon with 8.7 million Facebook followers and a career selling a career selling books, t shirts, mugs, and cat food. She's been in commercials for cereal and fast food restaurants.
7: <laughs> okay.
3: See, now I don't think yeah. I don't think that is the focus of the story. I think what we should be focusing on is the fact that I thought. They promised they were never, ever going to bring Cats the musical back to Broadway. Oh, good point. So they went back on their promise. I think that
2: is it's a money maker. the focus of the story. People love Cats. Flush it. <sighs> there goes Grumpy Cat. If you're not into Cats, but you'd, you'd prefer a goat story, here's a goat story where a man wins what's called the Ignoble Award. It's like a Nobel Peace Prize, but it's for those that do embarrassing things. And he won the award. Um, His name is Thomas Thwaites. He decided he wanted to live like a goat. And we'll put the video up uh, of a news crew telling the story about him, but the news crew laughed through the entire thing. The guy attached prosthetic legs to his arms, um, which made him kind of walk funny. And then he put a helmet on and like a white smock. And he pretended like he was a goat. And he lived amongst the goats in the Alps. And... He walked in weird ways, and he would eat grass and chew grass. Right. <laughs> it's it's pretty hilarious. Um, and then you wonder because he'd actually go head to head with goats. You know, goats will buck you a bit, and that's why he needed the helmet, I guess. But um, you know, it's it's not all cats anymore, folks. In the Alps, it's about the goats. This this seems about the most senseless
3: thing. Involving goats since that George Clooney George Clooney movie, uh, The Men Who Stare at Goats. You ever see that?
2: <laughs> no, I want to go yeah. see that now.
3: I love me a good goat movie. All right, this I've got one here. That's uh, well, we got to flush that one. Yeah, flush it. I've got one here that would make prairie or er, prairie. It would make Terry proud. Prairie Terry. It's a new product at McDonald's, but yeah. it's only in. The McDonald's in Japan, unfortunately, so we're not going to be able to try these out. But let me just tell you about them anyway. So these are called Choco Pumpkin Fries. Okay. Uh, The company is selling a bizarre seasonal concoction called Choco Pumpkin Fries, basically squirting little packets of chocolate and pumpkin sauce all over it. The dish was created to honor McDonald's 45th anniversary in Japan, where pumpkin spiced food is in an October tradition. Wow. Would you try that? Yeah. You would? I would just try the pumpkin chocolate squirt. Not on the fries. I'd put it on everything. You know what, though? Those fries are a bit of heaven. They're probably some of the best tasting fries on the earth.
2: Wouldn't Mm, you agree? Totally. I like to just put one under my cheek and gum and just. They're so good. Spend all
3: day on it. I feel guilty. I'm not even going to put ketchup on those. It's almost sacrilege,
2: you know? Except it makes my heart rate go up. One crazy other story, if you're not into the fries, you could come work for a company called Bamboo HR. It's in Linden, Utah. They pay their people $2,000 a year to go on vacation. I'm sorry. They pay you to go on vacation? They pay you to go on vacation. The program, which began last year specifically, will reimburse employees up to that amount for any purchases they make on hotels, transportation, food, and other luxuries while on vacation. So what do we need to do to get Don on board with that? Uh, I've already started that. Okay. Um, I'm putting together a PowerPoint right now, and I'm pretty sure we're going to work it up the building uh, to the because it's upstairs that they got to decide to do it, and I'm pretty sure Derek will do it because he likes a good vacation.
3: Okay, you got to remember that you've got to present why, what problem this solves, this, and how this will yeah. help us improve our work skills. I'm
2: pretty sure it would improve the quality of the show dramatically, and it would keep my wife happy. Happy wife, happy BYU broadcasting. Plus, it keeps security down because then. They don't have to keep looking for my wife, right? Do Not we mean. have time for one more? Let me flush that yeah. one first. Flush it. We got about no thirty seconds. Hit it. Yeah. Okay. Pittsburgh man
3: faces penalty if he can't catch a noisy rooster. The uh, Pittsburgh Post Gazette reports that the rooster's piercing calls have plagued residents for years because it appears to live on Henry Gaston's property. It has put him in violation of the city's ban against roosters. He's told a judge Wednesday that he's tried to catch the animal and has failed. He says he called animal control and the zoo, but he still hasn't come up with the rooster. So frustrating. So he could go to jail because this pesky rooster kind of sounds like an old Looney Tunes cartoon or something.
2: Is that Foghorn?
3: You (laughs) wascoey wooster.
2: Wascoey wooster. All right. Thank you. Flush it. Get rid of it. We'll take a break. Come back, visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. They're getting ready for the big BYU Toledo game today. It's tonight, folks. Locked and loaded. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. It is a big day, game day, with Brigham Young University. Our good friends at BYU Sports Nation are on top of it all. Let's go down. uh, I believe they're at the stadium. Spencer and Jeremy. Hello, gentlemen. With you. Game day. (laughs) Good day, eh?
1: You guys ready? Game day.
2: Are you ready down there? You pumped up? What if we said no? I know. I'd be afraid for you. Should
8: I be? Technically. For Countdown to Kickoff, we are not ready because I still have to write we're, the script. We're not ready. Yeah. Oh, boy. Still we still got to write We have the a few
1: tweaks to make.
8: Yes. Okay. But we will be ready.
1: We <laughs> have a 70-minute show tonight.
2: Holy cow. You guys <laughs> what are, are you
1: doing tonight besides
8: watching the game, Matt?
2: I'm just watching the game, and then apparently I'm going to um, be celebrating International Podcast Day.
8: Oh, it is International oh, nice. Podcast Day.
2: Happy Podcast Day.
8: Yeah. We're both podcasters. Mm-hmm.
2: I know. You guys, mm-hmm. you guys are the ones that put pod in the podcast.
1: And the fun back in funeral.
2: <laughs> that sounds horrible. It's also that, mud pack day. That horrible. It's today's the day that it's okay to get a facial like mud pack f- put on your face if you're into that.
1: I've never done that. Have you done that, Spencer? A mud pack?
2: Like, have you ever had somebody like rub really fine grit on your face to to help exfoliate?
8: No, I think. For fun, one time in my now almost 12 years of marriage, my wife used one of those mask things on me, but not not mud.
2: Yeah, that sounds romantic. Yeah,
8: also the nose strips. She is fascinated by those things. Is she really? Yes.
2: My wife just got me the clippers, and I thought that was pretty rude.
8: Well, the Lakers are struggling,
1: so I think that's a good one. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> everything sports to you, Jeremy. Have you never had like, n- nose hair coming out your nose to the degree that your wife's like, wow, maybe we ought to get you some clippers?
8: Yeah. My, she yeah. Her attention to detail with me is freakishly That's good. amazing. That's good. Like, we, we need her on our staff, I think. Totally. It's, like with statistics crazy. and stuff. It yeah. is crazy. She loves you. Well, again, I think I've said this before on one of these... Radio hits that we do with you, Matt. She can hear me chewing from downstairs.
2: She's what we call a high sensitive. Yeah. yeah, It's amazing. They don't miss mm. anything. Close
8: your mouth!
1: What uh, are you, a goat? From upstairs. Yeah. <laughs> and then you yell back, close your mouth! <laughs> <laughs> that and, will not work out well. And then they call me. The so it's okay for her to say it and you. Yes, know. there
8: are several things that are okay for your wife to say to you yeah. that you can't say to her. Exactly. Seems unfair. That's how it is, I know.
2: And one That's of them, okay. so she actually, you've put those strips up your nose, and then she pulls them out.
8: Not up my nose. I'm talking about like the pore cleanser. Oh, the pore cleanser. Oh,
2: those are horrible.
8: Yeah, man. Yeah. Come on, man.
2: I don't know my the Bioré
8: B- a- <laughs> pore uh-huh. cleanser yeah. strips or whatever that yeah. are like a dollar a piece, and I'm like, why a dollar a piece? Huh? Okay, it's that like might a be buck an hour. That might be an exaggeration, but they're expensive.
2: Well, I think if you look at it a dollar a piece, that that sounds bad. But if you think of it as really just a nickel for every clogged pore.
8: Oh, my What's goodness. the
1: worth of a clogged pore to a man? It would be That's a, a, the question.
8: There are so many pores on your nose; it's like a penny a pore. You,
1: <laughs> you, you become poor in the search for cleaning. Pour. That's the irony. When
2: you when you pull the biore strip off, are those stalactites or stalagmites? <laughs> <laughs>
1: I have no this, idea. <laughs> this is into a subject I never thought I would ever discuss in my entire I
2: life. I didn't either until Spencer brought it up. That was not on the agenda.
8: Tell me that, that this is an amazing conversation, this though. This is. And very relevant.
2: Okay, I've got a question for you. Would you rather dress up like Goat Man? There's a there's a man that is that lives on the Alps with goats and wears like little mini stilts and little prosthetics to actually have legs like goats and then wears a helmet and acts like a goat all day, or which animal, if you had to dress up and live with one, which animal would you want to live with?
8: Can I say neither?
2: No, come on. Oh. Just choose one. A cougar. How about a cougar?
1: Uh, uh, that would be a de- definitely a no. A
2: mountain lion, I mean.
1: <laughs> uh, I Here, like, boy. <laughs> I, I like the movie <laughs> uh, Babe. It would <That'd laughs> yeah. probably be one of those three little mice that sing. Oh, yeah.
2: That would be good. A singing little mouse. Yeah. That's cute.
1: Trying to think of.
2: I'd want something that's warm and cuddly.
1: Or I'd be Aslan. You know what I'm saying? No. Chronic, Chronicles of Narnia? The lion? Oh, yeah.
2: The witch and That's the what you'd want to be. Yeah, because that's like. The... I'd be the
1: wardrobe. That's how you get in and out of uh, Narnia.
2: <laughs> if I could be anything, I'd, I'd be the wardrobe.
1: Aslan. I want to be the wardrobe for Halloween.
8: What are I... you? The wardrobe from Line Witch. <laughs> th- I want to be Air Bud.
2: Ah, <laughs> uh, there you go.
8: The golden retriever that can play basketball. Yeah. At an NBA level. Wouldn't that be great?
1: <laughs> I want to be the last airbender. And they're like, man, your costume's lame. And I'm like, yeah, so is the
2: <laughs> You guys, just go be goats. We're super random. Hey, what's yeah. the show, I'm sure, it's all about the game tonight.
8: Yes. That's it, why we're in the stadium. We're keeping it 100% about the game tonight.
2: Okay, mm-hmm. tease us. What, what, are we, what are we coming up against?
8: Okay, I'm going to tell you why this game could very well impact the entire destiny of this season. How's Whoa. that my density? That is dramatic. How's that for dramatic? And I'm not kidding. Tonight's game could have major, major ramifications on where BYU goes this season. And if they go to a bowl game. Huh. Scary. Kay. Toledo's
1: really good. We're, we're going to uh, chat about what you expect tonight. How good is Toledo? Uh, ESPN's Adam Amin, who's going to call the game on ESPN 2, will join us on set. Mm-hmm. He's our boy. Uh, he's going to come hang out. We're going to play Know the Foe. We haven't played that in a long time. We basically just quiz each other about random facts about the University of Toledo or cool. the City of Toledo. Cool. Which is super fun. Plus, we do our going for two picks, Matt. Each week, we pick two things we think will happen. Spencer has three correct picks so far this year. I have two. Uh-huh. So it is a tight race, and it is important here in week five. Okay. And if BYU had run the ball picks.
8: inside the five-yard line, it, come would not, on! it would not be a close race right now.
1: And then West Virginia's like, yeah, we'll fumble it, so... Inside the five, some Jerm can get a pick. Another oh. one. How about,
2: how about that juxtaposition? Yeah, baby! Hey, it sounds like it's, it's really competitive. Let me just guess my two. I'm going to guess there will be a game tonight, okay. and I'm also going to mm-hmm. guess there will be a field goal kicked.
8: You might not win okay. that. yeah. Well, you might not win that.
1: Oh, boy. you got to bring the heat, though. You can't bring that weak sauce in here, man.
2: That's not weak sauce. Bold. I've bold. got Bold. Boo! Got, that, those are bold.
8: Uh, yes, Matt. Would you give uh, us your mild projections? Uh, I think they'll punt tonight. It's a field goal at some point. Now it's not like they'll
2: <laughs> Is that what I sound like?
8: No, <laughs> no. I, I sound
2: horrible. Sound like I've got to work no, on my accent.
8: Right. Yeah. You, have, you, yeah. have nice you have, you have a you very nice vibrato and baritone. Voice. You have a better voice than I do. I'm Thank really
1: you.
2: Jealous. No, I don't. No, I'm serious. No, you. I have definitely a better body. Don't get me wrong, but <laughs> voice, no. You've got that young boyish voice. <laughs> Pardon me,
8: <laughs> Jeremy. Just goes as low as he probably. Thank you very
2: much. All right, I'll let you guys go. I know you got to get warmed up, warmed up, warmed yes, up, warm, warm. Hey, uh, we we love you. Just know that, and I know you're going to work all day today and night and into tomorrow. And we, we... will
1: literally work until about twelve thirty.
2: I know, yeah. and that's why you guys. It's gonna be a fun day, man. That's why you guys get the big box. That's Sleep. why
1: we get the
8: bucks sleeping over at the building tonight.
2: Okay, remember who you are. Represent us well. And may the force be with you. Okay. Peace out. I'm going to miss those guys. That really is a cool gig. They get to go down to the stadium. They get to just hang out, eat churros all day. Churros and nachos. Nachos. And if we learn today, nachos not to be eaten off the ground after five seconds. Unless you want to die. Unless you want to die. Don't be doing it. Anyway, interesting little uh, study or uh, ruling from a French court as to whether citizens can smile in a passport photo. French citizens could soon be allowed to smile in their passport photos with a Paris court set to rule on the matter. An unnamed senior civil servant launched legal proceedings against authorities after his initial passport application was rejected for smiling. His goal was to give the depressed nation a morale boost According to the Telegraph, in the letter uh, to the court shown um, to the news agency, the man wrote, is it responsible for authorities to reproach? Is it the responsibility of authorities to reproach the French for smiling in a depressed France? Anyway, the guy is fighting back. Think about it. Smile with one's mouth shut while keeping a neutral expression, citing the Mona Lisa as an example. It's hard to do. It's hard to pull off. So if we win, the French will give their country a pleasant face again. He's fighting for France.
0: Vive la France!
3: Do you smile on any of your passport or license photos? say,
2: hey, cheesy man, stop that. They won't let you do it anymore.
3: You can't do it unless you can match
2: it perfectly when you're at customs or when you get <laughs> yeah. pulled over. That's the problem. Under all that pressure, I can't do it. Hey, we also want to end with a hero story as we wrap up the week Today's hero is really, it's a hero and then a group of heroes. The hero is, um, there's a bunch. Glenn Stukey is a guy that works at Walmart. He found out that a five-year-old boy um, where he was working was coming up and had a dental appointment and was scared to death about it. So Stuckey ended up dry- dressing up like Captain America for this fan who loves uh, Captain America. And then he went and surprised the boy um, after, the, after he had to go to the dentist, right? So Stukey, interestingly, though, was a guy that 90, in 1993 suffered a brain injury in a boating accident when he was 12 years old, and the injury never stole his sense of caring nor his desire to, uh, to help others. And so he painted, he's a painter as well, and he paints stuff, so he painted this boy a Captain America um, painting as well. Gave it to him a few weeks after the whole thing. Anyway, created a lot of uh, buzz here in Utah. Well, Stukey ended up getting hit, and his car, his bicycle was damaged. That's the bike he needs to ride to work every day at Walmart. And when he lost his bike, he was devastated. So everybody at Walmart then kicked in. They called the group Mascot Miracles Association, and a car pulled up, and guess what? They they took him, and they got him a brand-new bike. All of these mascots from different places uh, were were part of this organization. They bought him a bike. So now Mr. Stukey, who serves others, is now being served by a bunch of friends. They're all the heroes of the day, folks. See how easy that is? One person giving leads to another person giving leads to another person giving. So that's your challenge. Make it a great weekend, but make it one of giving, one of service, one of lifting. And let's remember we're all in this together. No matter who wins the football games this weekend, we all are in this together, right? We'll be back next Monday. Our prayers go out to Terry and Kelly and their soon-to-be newborn baby. That's cool stuff. We wish them the very best. And until Monday, make it a great one, and let's look after each other. Talk to you Monday.